From beyond the farthest reaches of our galaxy they come. Two brains pulsing with a strange energy. These space brains come to share their love of science fiction movies. Welcome to Space Brains, the show where we joy watch sci-fi movies and then talk about what was good and what was great. I'm sorry, and this is Mark. Hiya, it's episode 76, and we are talking about science fiction film, I Am Legend. You sure are, mate. I am. I am the legend. <laughs> Came out in 2007. So in this episode, we're going to reveal what we thought about the film, the ins and outs of narrative and film language, plus a nice deep dive into a specific piece of science that the filmmakers are proposing. I Am Legend was directed by Francis Lawrence, based on a screenplay by Mark Prodozovich. Prodozovich and Akira Goldsman. It did actually have quite a few incarnations from the 70s, um, from this original novel, I Am Legend, by Richard Matheson. The Warner Brothers... Bought the rights way back in the 50s, made Omega Man with Charlton Heston, which was on yeah, our last episode. Sense. So that's a version of this film. It had a whole bunch of in, um, screenwriters and different points in time that it had the green light, but never got off the ground until this version with, of course, the one and only Will Smith playing oh, the oh, lead. Billy. Billy Smith. Yes, yeah, so turn back now. This is your spoiler warning. Warning, warning. 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 And then... Right, watch the film and then come back and listen to us as we talk about what's exciting. Now, warning, a virus spreads across the globe from a vaccine. Oh, this, yeah, this, this is- sounds familiar. No, we're not talking about COVID. I Am Legend is basically set years after this vaccine outbreak scenario hits the worldwide population, devastating Uh, the human population, and we focus in on one doctor who remains at the epicenter, which is New York, to try to cure the disease whilst avoiding being hunted by the remaining infected. The remaining infected. Or are they remaining vaccined, vaccinated? (laughs) What I love about the premise here, though, is if you're trying to think of all of these, say, zombie movies and so Mm. forth, uh, or just movies where a disease wipes out everyone, because we know that diseases don't do that Mm. so far. Yeah. I guess if you've got the very right combination, but it's basically, no, it's Mm. probably not going to happen. So how do you do it? How do you come up with the premise of a movie where everyone suddenly starts turning into zombies or vampires or... Uh, dies or whatever the case may be. And I love this one because the idea is that they came up with this uh, injection, a cure for cancer, Mm. like just all cancer. Yeah. And so you've got to think, okay, yeah, so voluntarily, people would be voluntarily going, yeah, I want to be immune to all cancer. Mm. And particularly because you you think cancer hits like one in five people, you've got to think that most families around the world have at some point had to deal with it. Yeah. And it's a perfect then that would then just introduce 
I can't remember what the stats. He, you know, Robert Neville. He he mentions the stats of how many people got turned, uh, and then how many people were left alive, and how many people were immune, and then like all got killed. Yeah. But it is a really good way of very very quickly deploying and spreading mm. the you know the monster causing thing around yeah. the world. Like it's plausible. Yeah. Because you know in a few months you could roll this out and you know inoculate. Millions and millions, hundreds of millions of people around the world, because everyone's thinking, "Oh, this is going to save me from all disease." Yeah. You know, this is fantastic. Uh, you don't think there would be any anti-vaxxers? And then you turn. <laughs> well, he said that there was. Yeah, you know, some percentage. Of I think people, it was five hundred million. Five hundred million people so got yeah, rolled it is out. A, it's you know, a decent. So, so there, there would be there would be people, for example, go. Well, I just I'm not that concerned. Yeah, of course. There's the you know like I mean me personally, for example, I'm one of the lucky people. Where cancer is not something that has been in my family. Mm. Uh, I've I've had yeah I've got grandparents living to their nineties and dying of, of boredom, <laughs> which is what I think my wife's going to go that way too. So <laughs> like mm, I better pick up my game a bit. But I love that concept. Yeah, it's definitely. Brilliant. Yeah, I mean, who? I th- I think the thing that one thing I will say straight away is this film does that. And you could call it a fantasy or it, it brings up that imagination of like the last man on earth idea or the last, you know, what if you were the mm. last person alive? And many zombie films touch on that, but this film takes it right to that, you know, that extremity. And on top of that, I know everyone was pretty excited when this was actually announced and greenlit and, you know, Will Smith and, you know, big production value, big budget, Hollywood's taken on a zombie film basically and they really did deliver on many factors and we'll come to that throughout this episode. So it does deliver on that fantasy of what would it be like to be the last person alive? <laughs> so what was your one, number one takeaway? Uh, my number one takeaway is that if you have imagine a car driving down the road really fast with a very bad man driving it, mm-hmm. and then what if you could replace the bad man with a police officer? Yeah, that'd be a very different situation, wouldn't it? It would be. Silence, crickets. <laughs> it, and uh, my my number one takeaway is that car anal- analogies are often. Poorly used. They are. And I remember watching that and waiting for the, the, you know, the point. Mm. We sort of go, okay, so you get a really fast car driving on their own and apparently a bad man is driving it. <laughs> He's a good driver. He's just yeah. a very bad man. Mm. Um, actually not a man at all. It's a small girl. Yeah. Terrible man. Yeah. Um, really excellent small girl, but terrible man. <laughs> Uh, and then replace with a police officer, and then you're waiting for okay. This is it's still, totally different now. Sorry, you've it's still totally got different. a car speeding, yeah, out of still control. Dangerous. Like okay, but anyway, that's it's just it's a car analogy because everyone loves a car analogy. I do. Car analogies are like if you imagine a car drive. No, anyway, <laughs> that's that's a car analogies everywhere. That's how you know it's a science fiction film as well. Yeah, because if this was fantasy, they wouldn't bother with a. Yeah, car analogy. No, they wouldn't bother with any analogies, would they? No. There's a couple of analogies in this. There's the Bob Marley one at the end as well. He, he, he explains that analogy of him being shot and then, well, the bad people will keep making this world worse and so I, I need to keep showing up every day too, you know. Yeah. So there's a couple of analogies in this plus a motive 
that reoccurring sort of image is used in this film as well. So we'll come to that in a moment as well. Oh, yeah. So was this a mm, hope, a warning or an experiment? I think it's a pure experiment, this one, because I, th- I think it is that question. Like, what if you were the last person alive? What if this vaccine rolled out and actually turned half the population into these weird mutant creatures, zombie-like vampires, whatever they were, and the other, and then they killed the other half or those that were remaining and what what would that be like? So to me, it's a real pure question. Also, when you get to the crux of this film, it's kind of, well, if you are the last person in life, it's very lonely. And then so what does loneliness do to humans? Humans aren't really meant to be alone, although it does sound like a lovely many dream of mine. Many of us would like to be alone. We'd like to be alone, especially if you had little children for many years, you you probably wouldn't mind going to the cabin in the woods. Um, but yeah, so that, that concept of... It's a what-if film to me. So I, I saw if? this as a real experiment and then playing out that experiment. And I think it goes to the further into that than um, into the detail because he is the scientist. He is He's still experimenting. You know, if that was me, I wouldn't be bloody experimenting on these creatures or these rats. <laughs> I don't think I would. You know, you'd probably be looking at survival. But then again, maybe you would because if you're the last person, he was well stocked with food and supplies yeah. and and he's he was a talented soldier, so he knew how to survive, didn't he? You know, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. It was it was quite often in zombie films or stories, Walking Dead, you know, the big TV show, a lot of the time those people are not survivalists. It was almost like this character was automatically a survivalist, Ben Grills. Yeah. And then and and a scientist as well, so he's kind of like, well, he's sort of bored, isn't he? He's bored with living in the apocalypse. What, what else are you going to do? What else are you going to do? Might as well experiment and try to find the cure. Might <laughs> as well. And he explains to us as well that he kind of can't get infected, so he's well, it's interesting you say experiment almost immune. Because I was, I was heading down the road of warning because, uh, in my mind, a uh, classic science fiction warning one is where it's like, we tried to play God, and now yeah. we're getting our upcomings. And right at the very start in the opening sequence where the woman gives a bad car analogy, which kind of goes nowhere, is um, she says, well, we took, the, we took what nature made mm. and then we, you know, improved it to make it work for us. Yeah. And as soon as you get a scientist in one of these science fiction movies say, we took what nature did <laughs> and then we fucked with it, it's just like yeah. That's that's a warning movie because now it's going to fail. Yeah, you know we took dinosaurs <laughs> and we improved them. Yeah, yeah. How could that go wrong? You know, it's like, very true. It's all of, it's it's all. Of, but uh, I can see, and you could also even argue a little bit on the hope side. But the disaster was of our own making. Yeah, and, and I so, agree with you. I I do I do. You make a really good point. If you're out there and you think that it's experiment or you think it's warning, then let us know. I suppose to me also where the experiment comes in is that, you know, like the creatures sort of turn out to be more human than Will Smith. Yes. Like it sort of is as the film goes along, he is actually the one that is the maniac really and terrorizing. And I think that was the monsters. The main theme of the novel. (laughs) Yeah. As well. It was like, he was legend not because of legendary to the survivors, but he was legend as in he was the monster that goes bump in the day yeah. for these critters that come out at night. Yeah. yeah. They and had this, this this person 
hunting them because he had like a whole wall of photographs of failed experiments. That's right, like, like a serial killer. Like a serial killer. <laughs> and you could imagine they, that these monsters would just be like, well, we just go in at daytime and have our little rest. Yeah. And then some of our friends just go missing. That's right. And we hear stories of this. There's like someone who goes around during the daytime, yeah, and breaks into places and kills us. You know, yeah. you think, okay, yeah. So he's kind of the monster in this case. Mm. So, it's, so to me, that's where that experiment kicks in. Yeah, yeah I can see that. I, yeah. I, but speaking of experiments, I would like to see the film, and I don't know if it's been done. There's probably, a, I think, there might be a, a Black Mirror that's kind of this way, but where the person is fighting the monsters. But of course, it's all a perception mm. thing, and that when everyone around you is a monster, yeah, you've got to reevaluate. So the whole thing's like if if everyone else in the world is just stupid, mm. that's where you got to stop and reassess and go, hold on, hold on, how can everyone be stupid except yeah. for me? Yeah, yeah. That it sounds suspiciously like I might be the one with the problem. <laughs> everyone else in the world is crazy except me. Everyone's a monster, but me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, and it's, it's, it'd be it'd be one of the same but difference going on there. That's definitely right. So anyway, let us know. Sorry, and I kind of disagreeing on that one tonight. So let us know what you think. Is it a hope, warning, or experiment? So, Mark, you said uh, hiding in the cabin in the woods. Any particular time where that has been a strong desire, and at that time. What would you want to do while you're hiding out? I don't know. It could be an abandoned city mm. or the the proverbial cabin in the woods, space base, lunar base, space station. I don't know what it is. I guess part of, part of the fantasy which is explored in this film is, and he does it in this film, is in going to the DVD store and checking out the movies one by one. And so it's that you have that, you know, you walk into a department store and you're the only one in there mm. and you... Walked into, you know, like a supermarket and you could just take stuff off the shelf, (laughs) you know, like that's part of the fantasy. I guess that then on a deeper level, I think the metaphor there is like, yeah, isolation, being on your own, the cabin in the woods sort of thing. And I think also, I don't know, I suppose in this society, in a Western society like Australia and I presume America, you know, um, Europe, a quite similar standard of living, you know, we are... You know, now we're, you know, we have water come to our front door or taps inside our house, gas, heating, air conditioning. Uh, we hop into vehicles that take you from A to B. So the fantasy there, I suppose, is maybe getting a little bit back to survival off the land, you know, growing your own food, um, working the soil, you know, learning about the seasons, being a bit more in touch with nature. I think there is a fantasy there. I don't know if in reality, you know, you do all that work and then the crop fails and pests yeah. eat everything and you've got no food at I the end of the day. there'd be times where you'd be time, be yeah, you kind of missing like automation. Um, you create that cheese, cheese cave or your own beer and it blows up on you or whatever or the cheese is all just mouldy and gross. <laughs> it hasn't worked The out. wrong mould. The wrong mould, yeah, the wrong mould, not the good cheese mould. And so, yeah, the fantasy's there, but of course it might not roll out that way um i think it i think as i said in this world it's interesting to it'd be wouldn't it be interesting to walk around new york city and you're the only person yeah. and i don't think i'd really want those creepy monsters at night time but that would be 
weird, wouldn't it? Like he's at the start of this film straight away, he's like hunting a deer in a muscle car roaring through the streets. You know, there's no, he doesn't have to worry about hitting a pedestrian. He doesn't have to worry about, you know what I mean? Like it's a, it's a, there's a fantasy there, isn't there? Uh, there would be a certain amount of just even here in Mandra, you know, like yeah. there's a few nice big long straight roads and every now and then you hear someone who's someone doing some ridiculous hour. <laughs> Someone's living their fantasy. <laughs> you're kind of hoping you don't hear them screech your tires yeah. in a crash uh, because, ooh, it wouldn't go down well. I think that's it, isn't but, it? You're, you're, but you're, if you're, 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 you feel the only one there. Yeah. You and can do 180 yeah. kilometers an hour and sun's out, looking nice. Why not? In your muscle car, and why the hell not? You know, and this is what he does in this film as well. Like, there's a couple of fantasy moments: he, the muscle car through the city, um, the DVD store, the playing golf off the top of that hangar. <laughs> aircraft carrier, thing, yeah. Air, aircraft carrier. But he's not just on the carrier; he's also on top of the plane wing. Um, you know, like yeah, why not? Yeah, I, I, fishing in that. Indoor <laughs> museum, water, yeah, yeah. I don't know how he managed to keep fish alive in there, yeah. but you know they they die pretty easily. Yeah. Um, well, let's talk then about, of course, our favourite f- uh, topic lately is the film festival. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have um, penciled in a couple speakers. We have. Uh, we will announce them when we have locked them in, yeah. and our next sort of speaker. Uh, it's looking pretty good. Yeah. These are accomplished individuals of the Australian persuasion yeah. who have um, you know, something worthwhile to, to tell us and talk to us about. So our goal is to have kind of like writers, filmmakers, science or science fiction experts deliver workshops and give opportunity for the audience to kind of ask them questions. So we're kind of branching off into those key aspects of the festival. Uh, and, yeah, we've locked in a couple of people. It's no, pretty pen- exciting. Penciled or penciled in. in. Penciled, we've got to get contract yeah. signed. Yes, we do. And let them <laughs> Contracts. we're allowed to start announcing names and yeah. and uh, producing you know, promo material for that. Yeah. So that's good. Uh, and the tickets are going to be going on sale imminently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've been given a bit of a draft preview from Manpac, the Mandra Performing Arts Centre where the uh, the – Festival will be held, and I think they're going to be selling the tickets any day now. So by the time you're listening to this episode, yeah, you may be able to buy a ticket. Is that or two? Manpack.com.au. Ooh, M-A-N-P-A-C. I think if you Google Manpack, you'll be good. Mandra Performing Arts. No, it can't be Mandra Performing Arts. Anyway, yeah, get on, get get yourself to Manpack and yeah. check it out when you hear us talking about this now, because you probably will find us getting about. Well, Google Manpack, or if if you do head to things like. Our space brains. There'll be all uh, the links there. So you, you won't be able to dodge it. <laughs> no. Next, the episode after this one will probably tell you the full details. Yes. When they're out. Okay. So let's get on to plots. Yes. So I suppose a few details about the film before we get into the the actual uh, specifics of the plot. We mentioned Francis Lawrence directed this screenplay. Oh, now we probably should touch on this. Warner Brothers owned this film outright the option the good old option if you don't know what an option is if you're a writer a way of actually making money is a film studio optioning you now if you're not a big published um author they probably you might not get optioned much <laughs> but if it's a, stephen king you might get optioned a lot yeah as soon as stephen king puts out his latest book someone's probably uh, optioning and what that means is they kind of then have the option to turn that into maybe a film or a tv show and there's Probably contracts, like we mentioned before, on all sorts of levels. Stephen King, they might be a bit of a bidding war. 
you know, and you and me. And thing about Stephen King, he has got a large body of work that he has published at various times yeah. in various mediums that he has got the options for sale for $1. Mm. And his idea being, so you will actually find a lot of independent films or small budget films and so forth based on a Stephen King story mm. because you can actually go along and I, I haven't gone to find if there's any available, but he does this on purpose because he wants people to be able to uh, use his name to basically sell an adaptation of his film because yeah. in one thing, he's a creator. He wants people to be creative too. Mm. It also spreads his name. That's right. So what a, what a win-win situation That's that is. That's it. That's it. So Warner Brothers tried to get this. Um, they did make The Amiga Man uh, with Charlton Heston. We probably should look at that film in probably the future. Probably should do. <laughs> We'd just done Soil and Green with Charlton Heston. That was a bit of a different version of I Am Legend, the novel. And then during the, especially in the 90s, it ramped up. Warner Brothers really wanted to make it. There was a really long period of time that Ridley Scott was attached to this and the key actor was going to be Arnie. Oh. Right? Oh, yeah. And we're heading, we're heading somewhere there in the mid-90s. Ridley Scott has a couple of bad movies come out that don't do too well at the box office. Say it's not true. Warner Brothers are a little bit iffy. Arnie has a couple of movies that bomb at the box office. Yeah. And by the time you get to about 1998, Warner Brothers really cool on the whole thing. So Arnie's going to politics too. So. Yeah. yeah, so you know he was kind of, He's there was a period out. of time he was pulling out. Uh, and then there's a couple other years there where changed directors, changed script writers. Um, it went back to Mark again. He'd, he'd written a version in the early 90s, um, went back to him again. And good old Nicolas Cage was pulled into the ring to play the lead here. He's probably been pulled into the ring to play the lead on every movie, <sighs> every movie ever. So his name was thrown around. Um, and I think there was a couple other names in there as well that you can Google and I see. If I make a movie, I'm going to call Nicolas Cage. <laughs> um, Arnie actually came back on and was a producer and got Will Smith on board. So he sold the idea to Will Smith to be the lead and Arnie was to produce after that, Arnie actually pulled out. So it was funny. So he pulled Will Smith into the project and then he left the project. So it's got a – and it's actually even more complicated than what I'm saying there. So go online. You can really check out. It's got a – it's one of these films that was like going to get made, not going to made, not going to made. You know, like it just went up and down, the old green light, not green light, red light, orange light, green light. Yeah, I guess um, the thing is it's it's like a – it's a good base material. Yeah. Everyone's looking at it going, that, that would make a good yeah, film. it's a good I film. I can see yeah. there's a good film here. Yeah. But how and who and when yeah. and uh, what's the exact way we do it? And the city they kept setting it in changed as well in every script so it was like originally LA and then um, San Francisco it kept changing Chicago and like just kept swapping all around it was actually Francis the director that was like no it has to be New York and he took that inspiration from 28 days later when mm. he saw that and he saw London he was like ah we have to put this movie in New York and the studio wasn't that happy about that because it's not easy to shut down New York. No. <laughs> and uh, Will Smith even said that he had the most surliest bystanders and spectators because they did shut down parts of New York for different periods of time and people were not happy as they are in New York. They just when have to Hollywood wait until New York up. goes to sleep. Oh, yeah. hold on, there's a problem. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, and also the famous uh, bridge scene, which will come across throughout the plot here, a lot of people talk about because so they there's a big bridge scene and 
Uh, it, it ended up costing about $5 million this scene alone. Um, it's pretty spectacular in the film. It comes up three or four times in the flashbacks. Um, they blow apart the Brooklyn Bridge, and uh, they didn't really do that. That would have cost a lot more. But, um, yeah, the, the sort of size of the scene, the cast, the crew, they had to shut down a part of New York every night for five nights in a row. Uh, there was some sort of thing like they had to get permission from 13 different government agencies to do that scene, and it just was like cost a lot of money and a lot of a lot of bribery, <laughs> a lot of boozy lunches. Yeah, so um, that that that's sort of an interesting uh, little side of it. Uh, so Akira Goldsman and Mark Probovich, I think it was his script originally. Akira's come along. She she was the one that was brought in with Will Smith at that period period of time. Um, interesting enough, there is going to be a sequel prequel. They've just announced it. Did you uh, hear about this? Uh, I've again number two a sequel. I have heard on and off. Yeah, ever since number one came out. Well, they did. After this film came out, um, Francis was like, yeah, there's going to be a sequel, prequel. Um, and I, I think about four years later, he was like, yeah, it's happening. And then 2012, he's like, no, it's not happening anymore. Or for him, it wasn't happening. Yeah. Uh, and Will never, Will Smith's not keen on sequels apart from Bad Boys. And he didn't really want to get involved. Um, but this year, it is, and it literally, like, we picked this movie. A couple of weeks ago, and it's like the, the, there's been an announcement, and Akira and Will, and there's another big Hollywood producer, he's keen, and so it looks like it's going to happen. Yeah, and it's probably most likely going to be a prequel, as in uh, Will Smith let leak yesterday. I think he, he's he's mentioned that it's going to be um, when he goes, so before they shut New York and he goes to Washington to try to fight the virus, like come up with the vaccine or the virus or what, I don't know, mm. something like that. Like it's going to be a bit of a different version of it all. Yeah, as as the rollout of the vaccine happens or something. And yeah, anyway, we'll see what happens there. Little note, Andrew Lesney, Oscar award-winning cinematographer, Australian, fortunately has passed away way too young oh. in his in his 50s. He, he died a few years ago, but uh, you might know him like he won Oscars for Lord of the Rings. He was also behind Hobbit. Here in Australia, there's like about 40 different films that he was part of as a cinematographer over the years. You would probably recognise some, sorry. And if you're into your Australian films, not necessarily sci-fi, uh, he has made a lot. Babe, obviously, might be something that internationally people recognise. I actually got the privilege to hear him speak about 10 years ago and he spoke a lot about I Am Legend because that was pretty recent when it had come out. Um, and he spoke about, he actually spoke a lot about that $5 million scene and, and all the effort that went into that in terms of from a camera point of view. Oh, you wouldn't want to and, mess up uh, that shot, would you? <laughs> so, Will, you're ready. Yeah, all the actors are ready. Andrew, what are you doing? Oh, are we ready? Let's go. Yeah, but he talked a bit about the ridiculousness of working with, like I think he said in that there was a crew of 250 people, you know, and then the cast and then Will and, yeah, so it was like this huge scene that they were shooting and um and so yeah it's interesting he's a great cinematographer made a lot of good films obviously won oscars so yeah go check out his credentials not necessarily sci-fi in there i mean lord of the rings that's probably fantasy isn't it i don't think is that yeah, it? yeah unless you're going to call it an alternate world <laughs> science fiction, yeah. alternate history this group of mutants probably, probably and pushing deformed far, creatures really. go on a journey <laughs> Oh, we can push it, Cypher. Uh, yeah, so go check out his career. So Will Smith, we mentioned, is the main actor in really 
it's just him, isn't it? And uh, the dog. For the major- majority of it, yeah. Yeah, I think her name was Abby. She plays Sam, the German Shepherd dog. Oh, what a lovely German Shepherd dog. Lovely man. German Shepherd dog. And then we do have um, Anna, uh, sorry, Alice Braga plays Anna later. She comes in at the rescue and Charlie Tahan as Ethan, little kid. Dash Mahok plays the alpha male. Emma Thompson, I mean, she's only at the start of the film on that little bit of TV. It's yeah. a tiny role for Emma Thompson. So she's the she's really the evil mastermind in a way, <laughs> the doctor. And we also had Sally Richardson as Zoe Neville, Robert's wife, and Will brought his little Willow on set, oh, his own daughter, to play the daughter, Marley Neville, and Johanna Namunta as the alpha female, and a special little call-out to Mike Patton from Faith No More. Oh, he did the He voices. does the voices of the Dark Seekers. Uh, interesting note there. The screams. Mike Patton uh, also did the zombie screams from ga- the computer game Left 4 Dead. Mm, well, he's it got a, a voice, doesn't he? He has a hell a bit of a hit. Uh, zombie game and yep. he did the he's credited on the opening credits zombie voices Mike Patton yeah <laughs> there you go faith no more faith no more so why not get him involved so in in case now it did end up having funny enough some of these earlier scripts they didn't want to make because people weren't doing so well at the box office not, didn't, they wanted to shave the budget this ended up having I mean to me like it's a massive budget 150, 150 million dollars I mean um, even even by today's standards that's yeah, a fairly decent still a huge chunk I Go don't know 15 years and that's even more yeah yeah you know I mean we'll probably took away 20 himself in his back pocket but you know uh but it did really well it returned a box office of 585 mil i'd say that would be pretty good and there was lots of talk as sorry was just saying about sequel 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 for a long time people wanted more so that's a lot of the key details in space brains we like to break the narrative down to some of the common elements that you can find from all good story and script writing teachers people like campbell snyder and mcphee field where there's a three-act structure so basically a beginning middle end what's the first act like sorry the first act is our introduction it introduces us to the world the primary characters probably gives us some of the problems they're facing that we're going to see them overcome during the week during the week during the movie. You know, the price of petrol for them. The, pr- the price of petrol. <laughs> well, I mean, Will Smith's driving that you know, muscle car around. Yeah, yeah. That can't be cheap to get no. around in. Dog food, that's gone Dog up. food, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but importantly, we come towards the end of Act 1, we get the catalyst or the inciting incident. It is the one I like to think about. It. It's the question that we want to see answered later in this film. Mm. And it is usually the thing that it's the point where, as the audience member, you get that sudden spark in your head that knowledge ah this is what this film is going to be like this is what yeah. it's going to be about yep and usually then you, you have the, the the main character will kind of um confronted with this change yeah will have to d- decide to you know have a story or not have a story yeah luckily he chooses act two he does. And I will say that you got these four breaks, technically. You know, the first, the second, the third. Th- you're saying four? What four? You said three. Yeah, it is three. But when you think about, like, the beginning and then the total end of the film is a, is basically going onwards, right? The happily ever after. This film hits those four, four beats and uh, those four major arc beats. And to go into Act 2 of I Am Legend... It's basically time for some fun and games. It's time for, okay, this character, end of the world, the fantasy I was telling you about. It's not a happy world, so it's not all fun and games as in happy, happy, la-la, but it's 
fun and games if you were this scientist trying to cure a disease at an epicenter all alone in New York, what would that be like for this character? And that's yeah. what happens in the fun and games of this film. That We go on that journey with him and things start escalating pretty quick. But for him, during this second act, it is all about um, what's life like that. And we hit a midpoint in there. Now, midpoint, gents, is right bang on halfway. And this is what I was just saying, that the act points in this story, if you watch it closely, they're exactly like 30 minutes, 60 minutes, the end of the film. Like, they're right on. Every act just is exactly down to that minute. It is so tightly done. Um, so it's really great. Like, it's really great. So midpoints can be kind of false victories, like there's a bit of a win for the main character or, they, or they're just more the shit gets worse while it gets more serious. Yeah. But they're a major point. So if if Will's running around New York having a bit of fun in games, right, like doing oh, his yeah. thing, the midpoint, like it has to shake that up again, you know. So there is a really big midpoint in this and, and it leads to then things becoming worse and worse. And some of those expressions are bad guys close in or gets lost, you know, like diehard it's obvious the bad guys close in on Bruce Willis. Like, as we're heading towards that climax, things get worse for Bruce. He steps you on know? glass. Well, he, he, he stepped on that earlier, but it, but he then has trouble. to, like, jump out the building, doesn't he? And he has to smash into another floor. Up and- you know, the, the bad guys know he's there, so they start doing it. They realise who's his wife. Captured, yeah, they yeah, know, they know who his wife is. So things are getting worse and worse. The police downstairs are raising issues you know they're not helping the situation so for bruce it just gets worse and worse and worse and that's why die hard is brilliant when you look at this story structure um it will lead to something like an all is lost moment someone or something dying Uh, and it's yeah it's 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 very sad and um and then when that happens it's a real dark night so now will has a real dark night in this like it's the moment that you kind of want to almost kill yourself like it's the moment that you're sitting on the side of the road with not a brazo in your pocket. No, or you're <laughs> you're sitting in a an SUV looking at a bunch of monsters and, and running them over, hit them and, as many of them as you can. Yeah, yeah. So that's what that and that then gets you maybe if you if you pull yourself out of that dark moment, you come up with a new plan, and that new plan is from everything that you've just experienced from the inciting incident. Your world has been turned upside down. And if you're willing to now execute that plan, that takes us into... The finale, Act yeah. 3. So Act 3 is uh, a relatively short act. Act 2 is like the majority of the film. Mm. Act 3 is the short ending bit. It's it's often even just like the last 10 minutes of a film. Or if it's you know, Lord of the Rings, it could be the last hour and a half of the film, whichever... <laughs> You're like it just has of like part three of yeah, I think <laughs> of I think twelve hours. <laughs> I think Lord of the Rings had three act threes at the end there, but it's it's that last bit there where there's some sort of uh, decision is made. It's like okay, let's do this thing here. Yeah, uh, I have. I think that I've grown. I think I've changed. The world is different. A little, something's going on. Uh, there's always a bit of a disappointment because if it was always just so easy as yeah, let's just leave here and. We've got the cure and off we trot. Yeah. Uh, that's too easy. There yeah. always has to be something that, that the hero, the last impediment, the, the true test mm. of the hero's courage, yep. that they've got to go, ah, oh, no, this is the true meaning of Christmas. <laughs> we, we have to, you know, kill the reindeer. I don't quote me on that. That's probably not the true meaning of Christmas. 
I was no good at Christmas. Uh, and out of that sort of reversal and you get the victory, the final image then is often it is where the camera is panning through, you know, the the... the the, the lovely greenery and it shows the peaceful people sitting around enjoying a picnic or it's or it's you know forest gump sitting on a chair much like at the start of the film but now he's um you know more knowledgeable or bruce go back to die hard right like at the start of die hard he's coming to try to save his marriage he doesn't have his wife on his side and then at the end of die hard he's walking out and kissing his wife and hopping in a limo with his wife, yeah. yeah. Okay, I got to. You know what I mean? So, so it's like it's like it's the it's the opposite. That's what quite often the end is all yeah, about, it's, isn't it's it? The same, know? same, but the Donnie Darko, too. which we did on a previous episode. Go back, watch the film. Go back and watch it, like Donnie Darko as well. Like at the start, he's not really present with his world, and at the end, he is present. He's you know? fully so connected. He's fully connected, and he and he knows it, and he sacrifices. So, um, yeah, it, quite often the start and the end are those bookends. So. Let's get into talk about I Am Legend. Now, there's a couple of things I want to say going back to Andrew Leslie's style of filmmaking is if you look at the cinematography here, there's a couple of key bits. One is Will Smith, Neville. He is shot really closely. And so what I mean by this is, yeah, films are close-ups, but it, it is tight on Will's face. It is kind of his chin to his the top of his forehead. There's chunks and chunks of this film that is Will's beautiful face. Now, heavy, he's got a beautiful face. Heavy breathing through his nostrils. Lots of, you know... Yeah, sort of tense... Brooding. Yeah. <laughs> it's Will brooding, which is... Which, I mean, look, we've got to give also credit to Will here. Like, I mean, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, like, he's hilarious and he's, you know, bad guy... But, well, yeah, bad, bad boys. boys. Yeah. Uh, like, it's, it's, it's Will being Will. Like, he sort of talks himself up. Um, but he downplays that here because he's this scientist that's made this decision to stay and to try to cure. And mm. I think... I think there's like almost there is a sadness there uh, from the beginning of the film to the end of the film. You know, that's kind of his journey, that loneliness theme that comes through. Um, he's kind of never super happy, you know. And so, but I do want to just say the camera work on him is especially close. It's really tight in on him. The effect of that, of course, has we as an audience don't realise so much, but it makes it a bit claustrophobic, which I think is what it's like for Will, for Neville. You know, like he is a bit enclosed in the it's city. It's an interesting point because you could go either way and you some could. movies where uh, you've got people on their own, mm. you you do have a lot of pullbacks that yeah. show all of that empty space. Well, they, they still then do that again and, and that's the interesting thing is like then it's... I think there's that juxtaposition that happens, you know. So we're we're tight on Will's face, and then we have these kind of grandiose, real like it's like the extreme opposite. Yeah. So there's a good juxtaposition. I, th- I think there's a, a good example of that in the DVD store. Mm. From the point he gets to the DVD store all the way through to you know leaving with a new DVD, yeah. we're right in there, yeah, yeah. head and shoulders. You barely actually Will. see the shot. Yeah. We don't the get shot. wide shots of the shot. Yeah. Really, we're only seeing over Will's shoulder. Yeah. You know, past his neck at you know as he looks around at the mannequins and so forth yeah it's uh it it's a great effect and will i think he carries it very well this is uh one of his better films i think yeah i think so definitely um you know his intensity there's also the motive now a motive in film is a reoccurring uh image 
So in this context, it is a butterfly. So did you pick up on the butterfly? Yeah, look, Dad, a butterfly. <laughs> and you're like, ah, oh, kid, yeah, there's more important things your butterfly, but okay, that's a really nice butterfly. Yeah, right? yeah. So it's mentioned, it's shown, it visually shows up, and then it's symbolically at the end in the glass. So it's it's kind of unique how they use that motive of a butterfly. So yeah. um, I must admit, was this your first time you've seen this film or you've no, seen it before? No, this is the – it's actually only the second time yeah, I've right. seen it. I remember yep, yep. – uh, my wife and I have been wanting to watch it again mm. ever since we saw it the first yep, time. Yep, yep. And so it was really nice. I'd forgotten the intensity of this yeah, film. Like there's yeah, yeah. there's a good three or so fairly long, decent scenes. Yep, yep. That just absolutely, you know, you know, tighten the thumbscrews on you. Yeah, they do. And I remember watching it the first time because the first time you don't know how it's all turning no, out that's and so right. forth. And uh, if we're talking about, say, favorite scenes, one of those is where Sam runs off into the building. And I remember that because you're watching the, the start. He's driving through the streets in his mm. muscle car. He's powering it up with Sam. We get a literal save the cat moment yeah. where <laughs> the the lions capture yeah. the deer he's hunting. Yeah. And he's going to shoot and he's going, oh, this is dangerous. Yeah. And then he sees the little baby cubs and he goes, yeah. oh, you know. He saves the I'm cat. I'm a good guy. I'm going to save those cats. Yeah. So you sort of got you get this idea that he's got all this freedom, mm. but you also know that there's something bad happening because yeah, yeah. obviously there's no people around. Mm. And Sam goes into that building, and the the, the mood changes immediately. Mm. There's tension, like he's no longer just kind of palling around, just sort yeah. of yep, yep, taking yep. it easy. And it's just the yeah, the camera comes right in, and we just get a lot of black for the light. That whole sequence there, going through there, I remember was just on the edge. I knew that. Will Smith's character wasn't going to die. Yeah, yeah. Because it, the whole rest of the movie is going to have to happen, right? Like you wouldn't. <laughs> no, we're going to follow Sam, the legitimate but shepherd. Sam was a dog. Yeah. And you can legitimately kill dogs. You can. I mean, don't. <laughs> what I mean is, in a, in a story, in a sense. narrative, yeah. In a narrative, you could kill the dog in order to um, raise the stakes, raise right? the stakes, yeah. in, increase the tension. And so we knew that the dog was vulnerable. We did. Uh, it's it's just like you know when you have the 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 three friends go in there one of them's sort of the stoner or something and you know <laughs> they're expendable yes and if the if the writer and the director has done the right job we don't want them to be but yeah. Sam puppy lovely yeah, I know. dog I know that whole scene that holds like it's it's a relatively long sort of sequence of silence because he hasn't really done any talking except a few things to say to the dog yeah and it's just yeah it's, it's you know, you, I remember coming out of it just going, oh, thank God the dog's okay. You know, like, oh, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's real relief. And then there's there's other sequences later yeah, on yeah. where it's the same deal where you go like, uh, you know, um, where he's hanging upside yeah, down. Yeah, hanging upside down. And where great. he's, um, uh, uh, I reckon, even taking his wife and putting her in the helicopter. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the, the sound of the helicopter engine is winding up and winding up. Yeah. And then it cuts off. And we, you know, it's just these... Absolutely. Yeah, yeah the yeah, film actually, emotional. you've kind of just explained it really well, sorry. Like the film has quite a few of those jump cuts. So we're seeing stuff and then it it cuts on the actual action to the next bit. And so you as an audience are like, <gasps> like you don't get the resolution. And yeah. again, maybe there's a bit of symbolism in that, that the that's the feeling of Neville, you know, like he's in this world that you can never kind of feel resolved. 
You well, know, there's because only, I guess there's only his perspective there, yeah, so we don't yeah. we don't ever see anything. We else. We can't see yeah. anything else, yeah. really. So anyway, the we've talked it through a few times that um, the the basically you know what the setup of this film, but let's go through some of the things. So the film does open with us of a little old TV screen. And uh, Emma Thompson's playing this doctor. She's explained, explaining that she genetically re-engineered the measles virus yes. to um, cure cancer. And I think they say something like, how many subjects, how, yeah, how, how successful is it? And she said, oh, we've had 10,000 uh, human samples or trials yeah. and 10,000 successful things. And she kind of gives a smirk. Yeah. And that's a kind of a nice... Moment, and I think there it cuts from that moment to you know, we've then got these beautiful drone helicopter shots over an empty New York three years later, yeah. And um, you know, we're seeing just it's it's the the the, those shots are the emptiness, you know, we're seeing New York, there's no movement, there's no traffic, it's not the hive, the city that never sleeps. No, this city is sleeping, no, yeah, there's trees, there's grass, yeah, and we kind of slowly hone in and. There's a great kind of like muscle car that comes out of nowhere and it's hooning down the street. You hear you hear it first, don't you? Yeah. As well, the, like the roars of this car. So. Sponsored by Ford, I think. This, <laughs> yeah, probably. The sequence. Why not? Why not? You know, take the money and run. Um, and, of course, it cuts in and we get that real super close-up of the driver being uh, Will Smith and he's got this beautiful German shepherd and they're hunting uh, deer, aren't they? What I notice here... Quite interesting because, yeah, we come into this uh, car and the first thing we're introduced to is the gun. Yeah. So he's got a military-style weapon. He does, I don't know whether it is military yeah. or not. It probably is. They probably just go to the arms, you know. Kmart. People and, um, <laughs> you know, the, the Hollywood arms. What do they get? Armory? Armory. Yeah, they, they armory. armory. They would have just said, give us a, like an M4 carbine. Or probably would have just said, give us one of those military-type guns. Looks really scary. And says, well, what are we dealing with here? You know, it's, oh, he's going to be in a car. Okay, here, you want this one. Oh, sweet. So it shows the gun first. And you're yeah. thinking, oh, that's a serious bit of military hardware. It's got like attached bits and pieces. And mm. he picks it up. And, he, and he's, you've seen him going through this empty street. And then something dashes across the front of his bonnet. But it's actually just a deer. Mm, yeah. So it's it's kind of a almost a bit of a, a fake out there where yeah. you're thinking, oh, he's, you know, there's something dangerous, and it's not yeah. really. He's just hunting. Yes, and that's basically what him and Sam are doing. They're hunting this pack of deer to try to eat. Then there's dodging. But what we're seeing is someone that's quite able, you know, mm. um, because he's driving through these streets. There's smashed up cars. There's reeds growing. Um, there's a lot of like movement, as in he's going very, very fast to keep with these deer. The deer then, like, go through a tunnel and then come out the other side of the tunnel. Um, so we're seeing someone that's... And I think even what you're saying there with the gun is, like, if that was me, I'd be like, I don't know how to use this gun. Mm. You know, I mean, it's not, I'm not comfortable with this, whereas he was comfortable using that gun. Oh, so it's yeah, saying something very. about him as a character, isn't it? Yeah. And as you said before, there's a... Basically, the scene ends with a save the cat moment in that he runs up and... Just when he's about to shoot one of the deer, um, a, a, a lioness grabs it. Grabs it, yeah. You know, and um, I guess there's a symbol there as well, like the monster taking the vulnerable, like he does with the zombies. Yeah, predator. Like maybe like a predator, like he's a predator. Well, I, I think it's also the case there that you know, nature is going on without yeah. them. Yeah, yeah. And 
And that's something that we see a lot uh, in these sort of movies mm. where where we're reminded it's almost a bit of an environmental yeah, thing. Is that message, isn't it? The world, yeah, okay, humans aren't that important. No, In no. fact, everything's just moving on. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Get, getting over it. Yeah, we're the ones that are sentimental. <laughs> so the setup there is that we can see that his daily routine, we kind of see that he has to hunt for food. We, When he does that, there is a butterfly as well. Um, so there is a butterfly in that sequence, uh, like a normal butterfly flutters by or whatever. He's searching for food and he's also got Sam the dog. You see him in his kind of kitchen. He's got lots of supplies. So it's a very different, you know, you take things like the Walking Dead zombie stuff, they're kind of like scrounging for the latest baked beans tin yeah. thing that they open and share between 10 people. They're kind of all starving to death. Yeah, well, this Whereas is, this, this was the opposite. This is, as you say, that kind of almost fantasy of it yeah. where he just seems so well organized. Yeah, yep. His alarm beeps. Yep. And we don't really know what that's for at the moment. But he goes back and he washes the dog. He's doggy, got this great big dog. Squirts a bit of stuff yeah. down in locks his and he's got all him. the modern comfort comforts doesn't he he's, he's got, got power he's running. got yeah it's like it, it looks like oh he's, he's actually quite content yeah. doing his the food thing. he cooks seems looks pretty good you know yeah. like a you know a he healthy has this strange conversation with his dog yeah. him he's got, he's he's got the tv running so it's like oh okay this isn't too bad is it yeah it's, it's like um be a nice little holiday now to me this then seeps in yeah we have this moment with the alarm and the sun setting and the music changed, the yeah. tone changed and his face changed. Um, he'd played the dog, the No Worries, you know, the Bob Marley song yeah. and was kind of having a moment and the alarm pulls him out. And they even do it like he kind of tunes out and the dog's barking, you can't hear the dog, the yeah. sound of the dog. So he kind of totally tunes out. And again, there's that moment of a jump cut to then obviously it's maybe an hour or two later and the sun's gone and it's nighttime and him and Sam are in the bath and he's got his gun out again and there's just all these Horrible roars and outside. screams and weird rustling noises all outside. Yeah, Sounds like there's a whole army of things outside, doesn't it? Yeah, he's, he's just in the bathtub. And, and I I saw that as being yeah sort of the inciting incident. Yeah, that's, suddenly, the, that's the catalyst, yeah. Suddenly it's not... A surprise to Neville, but it's a surprise for us, the audience. Mm. And now we go, oh, okay. Yeah. This movie isn't just about him surviving in the wild. Yeah. There's something terrible happening. Yeah. Yeah. Um, After that, we have this sort of debate part. And so this is where we see this scene that costs five. How do you you spend $5 million and see it on a film? (laughs) Uh, Blow up the Brooklyn Bridge. So we have this, because he falls asleep, they've just used that as a natural motive to to cut to this flashback sequence. So this first one, it's his, he picks up his wife and child. Um, They're being escorted down New York. Yeah, you know, a city, normal New York, it looks like yeah, now. There's all, people um, there's all people everywhere and everything like that. People hop in. He's driving quite erratically, quite fast. Him and his wife have this heated conversation. Um, he's saying, you know, it's it's about to happen. Um, go upstate, get supplies. He asks her how much cash he got out of the ATM. Not enough, um, which was, you know, like, so it's like he was really testy, wasn't he? He was really, yeah. he was really stressed. Um, and then the president, he goes, oh, he's about to announce it. And he, the president comes on the radio and says, you know, sorry, but basically we're cordoning off New York. We're, we're closing New York. Yeah. We're, if you're on there, too bad. And so that's the, And then he wakes up from that. Oh, he does that. And he said, so that's what he says. I'm not, he's going to stay. That's right. So she's saying, oh, 
let you know come with us. Oh, we've and, got two or three weeks. You know, I can still fix yeah, this. I can still fix it. And his quote is, "I'm not going to let this actually happen." Um, his daughter mentions a butterfly, and they dismiss yeah. her over that. So again, it's like two times as a butterfly in ten minutes. Um, so we're back to this apocalyptic world. He's Will Smith doing his muscle workout. You would have liked that. Sorry. Can you do that yet? The chin up thing? Oh, yeah. That's the standard. You do. Thing. Yep. Do you do it with your shirt off? I don't in the look corridor? like him, though, unfortunately. <laughs> so he always likes to do this in his movies, I think, doesn't he? It must be in his contract. Seen with shirt off doing chin ups. Yeah. It's, it's, in Bad Boys, he does chin ups, too, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah. I think in Independence Day, there's something in there. Independence Day, he does, yeah. Yeah. So it's his sort of thing, right? So he is, he's super fit here. We see a bit more of his routine. He runs. Also, the house. His house. Did you start to pick up like he's got some famous paintings? He's got like yeah. stacks of books. Um, yeah, so it's just sort of starting to show that he's kind of collected some weird, yeah, he's, the important he's moments. He's collected some stuff. And so we're yeah. going to see, you know, Act 2. And I found this was very interesting about the break between 1 and 2 mm. is his choice to enter Act 2 was done in a flashback where he was telling his wife, no, I'm staying here, I'm going to fix this. That's the, you know, that only makes any sense after we saw him huddling in the bathtub and you start yeah. to go, oh, okay, he, he, he's chosen to be in this bad situation and he's going to, you know, his choice to stay and fix it is much like him in the bathtub going, no, I'm going to... I'm persevering know, with this. I'm persevering, yeah. like... Yeah. And I, I thought that was an interesting way to do it that, that would get this flashback to show the choice. I know it's, I I just thought it's, it's, as you said, it's, this follows the beats very closely. It's a, uh, yeah, it's a Hollywood three act structure. Yeah. Yeah. But even with that, like it's, it's not a formula that you must. And and that's the thing. That dictates the way you do it. The, the, what we're saying, what you and I are saying here is the catalyst, which it really is, is him in the bathtub. Like, that's actually not a catalyst for him because that no. happens to him every night. So it's not his world is not changing at that moment. No, I suppose maybe the the way I'm thinking is the catalyst for him is that it is still happening. So it means he still has to keep going. Yeah, has but, to keep but going. it's really a catalyst for us as an audience. We're like, oh no, it's not just a fantasy. Well, that's, a, in the that's that point where we, <laughs> as the audience, now know what this film what, is going yeah, to address. Yeah, that's right. Like it's not just going to be him. You know, prance around playing with his dog in the Doing chin-ups. Yeah, like... <laughs> with no shirt on. There's, there's something pretty serious that he's going yeah. to have to do. And then we get this flashback and found, find out what it is he's decided and determined yeah. to well, do. Like, why is he here, yeah, right? Yeah, I, I quite liked that. Yeah, me um, too. Yeah, and yeah. When, you, when you do break these, these stories down, you do start to see that all of these films, the only films that are a little bit more obvious tend to be children's films. Yeah, yeah. Because they tend to have a slightly, you know, more broken down yeah. plot. So a lot of the Pixar films... Uh, and Disney films are really good ways of seeing the obvious points. They are. But that's because you need a, a six or a seven-year-old to be able to follow along and get it. Yes. You know, yeah. whereas this, it's a little bit easier. Like, you know, uh, those sort of flashbacks, a six or seven-year-old watching flashbacks like that, mm. often confused with the timeline. They're going, well, yeah. hold on, why are they here? Where, they, yeah. Were they just there? Where are all the people gone? That's right. Um, yeah. So we also learn he, in his basement, he's got the rats and he's doing the experiments on them. Lots of the rats are just dead or totally psychotic, apart from number six, I think it was, who's maybe okay, maybe not. Number six, yeah, loss of aggression. Yeah. It was his arm, um, pupils were responding to light. Mm. 
and it wasn't like the other rats were just freaking mental <laughs> or dead throwing themselves at the the walls trying to get at him i or think what they were dead what's also important there is uh neville is pretty dejected by everything like he's doing this but you can and he's been doing it for years you know it's not really going anywhere and that leads into the next scene which is really interesting and it's important for moments in this film is this dvd store so like you said it's this is the the portrait of a lonely man yeah previously in act one yeah he was he seemed to be having a a fun time with his dog yeah 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 and i guess that's the thing this is how it plays out like you are all alone, so you start talking to mannequins. And that's what he does. And he's got his whole thing. In it. And the, even the fact that he's like, okay, I'm returning this DVD and just taking the next DVD. Yeah, <laughs> I'm he, up to the M's or whatever. He could just like pick like, up a whole bunch. He could pick, yeah, he couldn't. But he's got this routine and Fred's out the front and he says hi to Fred. And he's got this <laughs> woman in the corner that he kind of eyes Well, off. that was the adult videos. Yeah, that were the adult videos. Yeah, he's yeah. looking over there at her and going, well, you know. Yeah, yeah, you know, hey, hey. And but he doesn't have the guts to talk to any go. I mean, I tell you what, if you're an actor, you want to be an actor. This is quite a good way of looking at how does an actor engage with a mannequin mm. uh, in a really realistic way because it's what it's showing us is loneliness, craziness in a yes. way. But it's but it's also a very human interaction. He's like flirting with the woman at the DVD store. Of course, someone that these days might go DVD store. I found it funny. What? 2007, because I, I, I was trying to remember when this film was made. I was going, mm. right, DVD stores. Like, mm, I know, I know. I know. How, because it was r- relatively recent looking posters up yeah. about the place here, like Batman versus Superman and, and Wicked, which of course were contemporary to the time. Yeah. But they still, because, say, Batman versus Superman is still in the current sequence of. DC movies, hmm. it still kind of feels like, you know... It's, yeah, it doesn't feel that old. It doesn't feel that old. Uh, although, even, and even DVD stores, they were there and then, then they're not now, right? Like no, they sort DVD of stores were, disappeared. Like they disappeared Very shortly after this film, in fact. Yeah, not, yeah. Not too long after. Thanks to saying. our good old friends at Netflix. Thank you, Netflix. <laughs> Netflix. Actually, you, you made life a lot easier for you me. You did make it a lot easier for yeah, me, too. No, 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 oh, no. those returns... So Maybe I would have been more inclined to return them if I had a sexy mannequin in the corner to flirt with. Uh, Maybe yeah. in the adult section. And we Instead are, of just me being there all, all alone in the adult we section. We are still waiting for Netflix to reach out to us regarding a sponsorship yeah. deal. Come on, Netflix. We've done so enough Until Netflix. then, I have to also say thank you to Amazon Prime. <laughs> That's right. Netflix, if you want us they to stop could. mentioning Amazon Prime. Yeah, sponsor you know Space do. Brands. Yeah. So I know what Will would do. You know, He's our buddy. Come on. Uh, and so I thought it was a great scene that, that, that particular one. It really was very good. If you're an actor, just go fast forward, watch those scenes in the DVD store and see what happens. He also has this down scene where he's scavenging. You mentioned it before, you know, people that had not made it. And yeah. I mean, the, the bit here that's kind of the downbeat is I think it's positive in that he takes some items, but the downbeat is that he discovers like a bedroom that's uh, a baby do not open and, till christmas yeah and so it's and like a baby's room that's all perfect and there's a cot and so it means that they never the baby never made it or they never got yeah. to have their little yeah. christmas you can imagine the uh, well we won't go into it but you can no. imagine the scenario it'd yes. be quite sad and and he does he he steps back from that because uh 
Well, it's it's a real damn bear, and we we get further into his loneliness, and mm. I think with these radio message he announces, yeah, yeah. where he says, um, "Survivor announcing on all AM stations or yeah. frequencies uh, every day midday when the sun is highest in the sky mm. and South Port or South Pier Five, like that, it yeah. is, which is the one that's from his flashback with yes. the helicopter would take yeah, off, yeah, took off the, from. And you can just see the Brooklyn Bridge is blown in half, you know, years earlier. Um, he plays golf from the back of a plane. Yeah, the extremity of being alone in this place on this sea carrier. But that's um, a bit of an upbeat again where it is. he's kind of, again, having a bit of fun with it. It is, it is. Uh, and to me, this then leads to the fact that him and Sam, Sam notices one deer, and yeah. so on the, from the this plane, so they give chase, and so again, it's a great jump cut because they're they're no longer on this plane; they're chasing this deer, trying to hunt it. Sam runs ahead, and he runs into the darkness of this building, and straight away, there's a difference, isn't there? In yeah, Neville like said, Neville actually stops, and he, I think, he says to himself. Oh Sam, Sam, no, you can't go in there. Like I can't, I can't go in after you. Yeah, I'm sorry, like, Sam. Like I'm sorry. Like there's a line like that, and then he goes in after him. Yes. So to me, sorry, that is actually then going into Act Two. That's now coming into the seriousness of the fun and games of this. So like shifting a gear into that. Okay, we've seen all this setup. We've seen all this debate. We've seen a little bit of why he's here. Now it's like, well, this is the point of watching the movie. It's this, like, yeah, this is the monsters you're hoping this, to this see. This is what I want him to I want to see Will Smith fight some zombies. This yes. is this is the thing. And you beautifully um, you know, described this scene before. It's, like, it's very close cut. There's not much light. It's only the light of his gun, torch, torch whatever you call it, snipe or whatever. Um, he flashes around. You know, when he's turning left, the camera's turning left. So we really can't see much. There's, You can see the blood. Sam as well, bloody good dog that he's been so far has just seemed to have vanished inside this place there's no barking there's no nothing right yeah but and my, um, my dogs ran off oh, I know, people at various I know, times i know i know they do they just, do right someone's jogging and then he just works perfectly at heel next to the jogger like i'm like why don't you walk like that next to me uh, <laughs> jogger's dog now uh yeah and so to me this is like in trying to save sam he he does discover a bit of a weirdness. Like, this is what I mean by the fun and games. Like, the, there's a group of these, they end up being called the Dark Seekers. Not that Neville calls them that, but that is the name that they are. They have. Yeah, I think, I think um, the woman. Uh, did, yeah, the woman kind of calls them that. Yeah. that yeah. So, we don't actually have a name, but we'll use that name throughout the, the describing part. And um, they're, they're huddled around each other as well and doing this breathing, chanting thing. So, they're not quite the zombies of, you know. You know, leering out of the dark one at a time or whatever. There's some sort of pack mentality going on. He finds Sam cowering under a desk, kind of eyeing off something. He turns over. There's a dark cedar eating the deer. This thing charges at him, fires a gun. Of course, that kind of awakens them all. Yeah. And they chase him and he runs and he tells Sam to get out and he crashes through, you know, action hero style that Will is through this building. And they come tumbling out after him just as they were about to get him. Mm. And we know we learn a rule about them, which is the sun hurts them because yeah, they all just kind of shrivel up and die yeah, really quickly. Dies. I'm Poor surprised. You. I'm surprised that Will didn't, uh, old Robert Neville didn't suffer some injury there, falling, jumping out of a yeah, yeah the first floor. Yep, but he survived. Yeah, but he did the the uh, Hollywood he did the role, trick, didn't it, he? He he landed. <laughs> The the dark seeker was the one that hit the ground. Yeah, right. And so if if the dark seeker hits the ground, 
he's protected. Yes, it's like a mattress. Like I'm, I mean, I'm pretty sure it would stop you from suffering the sort of really serious injuries, but he just gets up and is he's cool about it. Yeah, you know, I've, I've tripped over and had pretty badly shaken uh, experience just from the tripping and falling on a bit of hard concrete. <laughs> Uh, so I don't know what you're out of a floor. Yeah, so three meters up. I think he did air. the special roll, sorry, the oh, special like, Hollywood roll. He's yeah. tough. You saw um, him do his chin-ups, right? Yeah. That's right. I mean, he's Ooh. just muscle. He's good. He's good. He's, he can't be out at that point in the film. I mean, imagine that. That's just, he <laughs> falls out the bit. Ah, oh, my angle. Spray my angle. I'm just no. going to lie here and die. It's not the midpoint yet. No, that's right. Um, he did it Very quickly, but he's discovered these creatures uh, the dark seekers and he tells sam to stay and there's a rule here which he says he can get infected mm. sam you can get infected you have to stay here for this one uh i can't yeah so it, it does it's not explained further than that but it's like oh okay so he's been infected he's immune you yeah know, whatever and he sets this elaborate trap and it's kind of you know a rope tarpaulin back into where the dark seekers were Ties it up. You see this kind of car leering over a bridge. It's all just kind of like shot, so you're not exactly sure what's going on. He A-teams it, really. Yeah, he does. MacGyver kind of style. And uh, with that, and he also puts a bit of his blood, he throws a bit of his blood in a sample into this thing, and he just stands back. And the next thing you know, you hear a bit of noise, and this thing comes out. It's, It's a catapult, rope, counterweight. Trap, like animal trap idea. Coyote, yeah. Jason Roadrunner. And this ghoul thing comes past him wrapped in the tarpaulin and screaming and yelling. And he just kind of clunks it as the psycho that he is. It's, it's in the, no, he saved that cat. He's, yeah. he's cool. No, right? he's cool, right? Yeah, yeah and he, he knocks it out. The important thing is, however, he gets a bit muddled or befuddled, whatever you want to say, because then this male dark seeker leers out into the sunlight roaring yeah. after him. And, even, and he gets, and even it starts getting burnt. burnt. Yeah, he starts getting holds, burnt from there. And he's it's like, almost like he's trying to prove a point. He yeah. just burns and burns and burns, and then he pulls staring back. Off. Like, he's staring off Will. You it's know? almost as if he's saying to Will, the only reason yeah. I'm not coming to get you is because of the light. Is because there's too much yeah. light. And he disappears into the darkness, and Will's a bit, yeah, he's a bit confused by that. Back at his lab, he has this female. She's breathing like crazy. He injects her with that. Serum number six, the one that was on the rat earlier. And he misuses um, the term vaccine. Does he? Well, because he says, uh, if this vaccine works, she'll be cured. And he goes, vaccines don't, don't cure, cure people. Yeah. <laughs> like it, it would be, a, he's yeah. trying to get his immunity cure. Mm. Because, for example, we, we have cured people of HIV by mm. finding immune people. Yep. And then doing bone marrow transplant to introduce the immunity into them. And yes. They've been cured. So you, you can take something from an immune person into a sick person and mm. cure them, but you can't vaccinate them. It's no. too late. They're already infected. Right. Yeah, it, it isn't because that's the whole thing even with what people say with COVID, like a vaccine's not a cure. No, no. It's a preventative. It's it's like wearing a condom, you know. Yeah. Like, yeah. HIV, and condoms. Sometimes, sometimes of... condoms break. <laughs> Leering down an interesting path here with your analogies tonight. Sorry. Yes. Start talking. Go back to the car analogies. Um, so he imagine a condom <laughs> filled with wrapped a bad over man. a car, <laughs> and if you took the bad man out of the condom yeah. and, and you put, put a policeman <laughs> in there, okay, makes you a lot a of different sense. Situation <laughs> roaring down a. If you're uh, a freeway. policeman listening, listen to this wearing a condom right now, <laughs> and you're listening to this, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not sure what's going on there. No, That's no. weird. 
That is very weird. You probably need to see. But I want you to, to film see... it and send it. No, don't you? <laughs> yeah. Let us know. Is it some sort of interesting science fiction film? Uh, I would say so. So with this female dark seeker, whatever he's injecting her with, it works and then just doesn't work, kills her. Yeah. He re-injects her and brings her back to life. Yeah, it's probably so, like adrenaline shot adrenaline or something. Adrenaline shot or something, um, which was interesting. And he's dejected. I think that kind of is noting something a little bit about him being the way he is. This is where we go back to a flashback. So we're back to that bridge, his wife. They're trying to... They're out of the car now. They're sort of storming through the crowd. The soldiers are scanning everyone's eye. I thought that was a pretty cool little piece of tech, hey? Scanning everyone's pupil. Yeah. And it's like green, red, green. The tr- real, real visual, you know, no, you're infected, not infected. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Will goes. Will's green go through... I think the child's green or something. And then the mum wife, uh, red (laughs) straight away. And the soldier's like, ah, yeah, fuck off. You know? And, and then Will's like, no, no, scan her again. There's a bit of commotion. And he convinces them to scan again. And I mean, the thing with that straight away, because they re-scan her and she's green. I'm like, well, those scanners aren't actually so accurate. (laughs) Yeah. And if I'm the person (laughs) standing next to her, who just got kicked out. Yeah. Scan me again. Scan me again. Yeah. 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 But it also doesn't indicate that, you're blowing up the. You're trying. They're trying to contain it to the island. It's already out there, isn't it? Like if those scanners aren't that foolproof. Well, yeah. Um, you know, like I, it's. I just got to think. It that indicates that someone's probably over the other side on well, the mainland. There's, there's not 500 million people in Manhattan. No, like there's, no. there's probably like five or eight or something. Yeah. Million, not. Not that. Fact so, check. Sorry on that. I think I think it's about twenty actually. But anyway, um, it's not it, soil and green. Forty four million in twenty twenty two. But I think it is about twenty. Is that in the Greater New York area or the just New Manhattan Island? Oh yeah, maybe it is great. Yeah, I, look. I don't know. Fact check this. Tell us. When I've never been there, so I don't know. If you've been locked onto Manhattan Island because <laughs> they've blown up all the bridges, the population is touch. one. Sorry, one. It's one. one. It's it's the will. Anyway, and then so and and that's that flashback. So they get through, they get through, and they're heading to their helicopter. Yeah, oh, and that was that jump cut as well. It it really yeah. tense. Oh, get, and on the the get on the helicopter, and yeah. you hear that the helicopter noise is winding up, winding up, winding up. Yeah, no, so, and yeah, but it doesn't quite. And this is where they give she gives him the puppy. So she yeah. gives him Sam the puppy. Yeah, the helicopter's starting, and they're like, "Oh, we're going to have to get going." Yeah, and that's when it cuts. It cuts, it's, and that was. Unresolved tension there because it was. just the sound of the helicopter blade, and you know something bad has to happen, but yep. then you're thinking, hoping it's not. It's just again one of those moments where you're going, surely no, mm. maybe he just doesn't know if they escaped or not, if That's they're alive right. or not. But anyway, and now this next bit hits home on so many levels, but this heads us to the midpoint of the. It's and is exact if you're watching it's, it and you pause it's about it. It's the right, mark or something. like it's right on halfway through, like yeah. whatever the length of the film is. It's exactly halfway through. So, and I love this. He's driving with Sam, and he happens to pass something, catches his eye, and he's ta- he's talking to Sam about his birthday. So he's kind of having a meanness yeah. conversation. Oh, if you get a surprise, surprise party, whatever. Don't. Sam's just like, no, I'm just not. Just tell it. me. You know, I'm not going <laughs> to. Um, and. He sees something, catches his eye, stops, looks, and it's Fred the mannequin is now just standing, obviously not in front of a DVD store. He's in front of the Netflix building. And he he pulls back and he's he's like, what? You know, and he like hurries what up. What are you doing, Fred? And, and I love this. What are like, you doing? Fred, what are you doing? 
Fred, Fred, what? No, Fred, no, Fred. Are you real? Are you? I'm asking. You're going to tell me if you're real. I'm going to. He pulls out that gun and he's like, "Tell me you're real, Fred. You better tell me." And you know, in a moment of uh, insanity, really, just blows him apart as well. Like, just shoots, fires off, right? And um, and it's a great. It's I love that set like that. That all of that happening is so real i reckon like if if that mannequin had moved that would just send you bonkers wouldn't it like if you've been alone for three years no other human and that freaking mannequin has just been moved oh yeah because you could think i don't know whether it's three years how long he's had that mannequin set up at the dvd that's right you know it's long enough for him to develop a relationship with (laughs) yeah yeah and and anyway and then and then he sort of thinks oh because that's the thought right and it's very it's actually a very sane thought he he then looks up like he's like oh is it a trap like is there maybe there is other humans and you know and so he fires that big gun of his up into the you know the skyscrapers and all this sort of stuff and but nothing there's no return fire there's no sign of life and so he's kind of composing himself and he he walks over to this where where um Fred has been blown apart there's a puddle and he kind of looking at Fred and he's very confused by it all and he just steps and there's a clinking sound yeah. and then the car the taxi that's sort of beside him falls off that that pillar or bridge or whatever and with that he's just hoisted up the yeah. same kind of contraption. It's, it's, it's a lovely, yeah. The, the sequence of events and the sounds. Yeah, and the way they shot it, it's the same it's as the same when thing. he caught so the female as zombie. As the audience, yeah. you sort of go, "Oh, oh no, no, then, no!" It's the zombies and you see that Will have got Smith you. is his characters in there going, "What? I don't, yeah. I don't get it." Because he's he's convinced that the dark seekers are just animals. Yeah, yeah. basically. Yeah, anyway, and in that motion, he whacks his head and he passes out. So and he's unconscious. Tellingly, he drips blood down into yeah. the water because yeah. you know these guys can smell the blood. That's right. That's right. They so, like their blood. So to me, that to, is the midpoint. That, so. it, that's exactly <laughs> on the midpoint right there. Like the moment he gets hoisted into the air, his his fun and games has come to an end, and is uh, being. Yo, Will, there's no more fun and games for you. <laughs> so hung upside down, he 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 starts to come to his watch is beeping. So we know that's a great connection back to when we we were taught that rule right like isn't it this is the thing if you're a writer and you're noticing what they've done in this film the alarm clock earlier in the film sets up the inciting incident but it's also now being reused to raise the stakes again later in the yeah because now you, so, now you know he's got as a time as, clock yeah as an audience you're like yeah yeah because he was really worried when that went the first time and uh, and the and you can tell it's darker. Sam's barking away, trying to get him, you know, alert. He kind of like you know struggles awake, turns his alarm off, cuts the rope, and falls to the ground. But when he falls, it, was it another trap or something? No, he just I falls think, on his own knife. Ah, uh, he falls on his own knife, and so that stabs him into his thigh. Yeah, and, somewhere. And this was this is a good little effect as well. Uh, effect. Um, feature of the writing yeah because had he just yeah had he just fallen yeah oh stand up walk back to his car like there's no tension there it's just like even if the sun was going down the dogs are barking he could still just run yeah run to the car uh, or run over and get his gun or whatever you know like it's not a problem yeah but so he stabs himself in the leg and he tries to move there's no nothing's bad happened yet yeah he goes oh can't do it so he rolls around and goes okay i'm gonna have to Slowly drag myself back. He yeah. drags back a little bit slowly, and then you hear that grrr, yeah. and Sam growls back, and you 
you're watching that, your heart sinks. Yeah, you, you are. Oh, shit, he can't move. There's just Very that fast. strip of sun yeah. and his alarm's going off. Yeah. And, yeah, and it's this is, again, one of those really tense scenes. Yeah, that, yeah it is. It, it just builds and it builds. Yeah. And, yeah, he's scooting back as fast as he can on his The butt. sun's closing down and closing down. And then that dude releases dogs. Yeah. Which, again, it, that's showing a bit more than just being an animal. Yeah. He's, he's, used, he's created a trap from... Mm. You know, observing what it's That's done. Right. Like it's quite a sophisticated trap. It is, yeah. And then uh, he's using dogs to yep. attack because yep. he knows that this guy's dangerous. Yes. Like you don't yeah, go charge send, after him. Send in the hounds, so to speak, first. And you know, they get stopped by this beam of light, yeah. which is a great... Uh, again, it's, it's like... Um, there must be other movies where there's something the same as like there's dogs or people trying to get somewhere and there's like a, a, a drawbridge yeah. or, a, yeah. or a gate slowly opening. But this yeah. is just... There's not even a physical barrier there. It's just nah. this beam of light across yeah. and it's shrinking. Well, for the audience, what, what you're doing is like, is he going to make it to the car? Like, Sam, you know, we've already had the tension of the Sam almost dying earlier. And we sort of, you know. We know because we've been trained by these movies, even yeah. if you don't know this structure we're talking about, yeah. you kind of know the structure. Yeah. I remember as a kid watching the Disney films the you know the sports teams or the, the the little boy lost his dog or whatever it is yeah you'd always know that point where you think things are going okay you go no there's like the whole rest of the movie yeah. something bad has to happen something has to happen yeah. and so this is something bad happening and so you're trained into going how bad is it going to get so as soon as that sunlight ends he's kind of gotten himself two-thirds the way back to the car but not enough you know those dogs are going to be fast so the sunlight ends the dog's hunt them basically one attacks him but sam bowls that one out of the way the other one he manages to get to his gun so then he fires three or four times but this thing still comes on top of him but he, he shoots it off and then he turns to help sam when the third one attacks him and so whilst he's fighting that one he can't see what's going on with sam and then sam comes in and saves the day and enables him to fight off the last one but sam is bit Sam's been bitten. And, and we, we knew the rule earlier. earlier. <laughs> this is the thing. So this is what I was saying. Setting, right in basically setting up what's going to happen in the next stuff, the next stuff. So he fangs it back. You know, he's gotten away from the um, Dark Seekers, but Sam is damaged goods. He gets back to the lab. He tries to do something. He, he uses Serum, serum six. 6. yeah. And it, it just, no, nah, it doesn't, it doesn't do sense. anything and he's hugging Sam. Sam's first, that's coming out. Yeah, and, and the teeth, he looks at the teeth and you can see uh, his eyes start rolling backwards and it's very sad because... It's very sad, he has to cuddle his dog to the death. The film has only had Neville and Sam. So yeah. for us as an audience, we're now just passing halfway of the film with all we really know is Sam and Neville and... Sam is dead. Yeah, yeah. And he, anyway, he holds him and suffocates him, basically, doesn't he? Yeah, I, 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 again, watching this film, that was this was what I feared in that first encounter. Yeah, yeah. and then it's and come then true. Now it's come true. Yeah, yeah. I know. Yep. So we we are here in not the midpoint. We are in those sort of bad guys closing in. So Sam has died. He buries Sam and back where he kind of grown some crops. And this is where another butterfly comes by. Yeah. You know, and if you think about a butterfly overall, I mean, what, what do butterflies go through? You know, they're caterpillars. They go through that whole, I mean, my wife's done it in the laundry the last three years in a row, the whole 
having the butterflies go through that whole process. But symbolically, butterflies... What does she turn into? Oh, she turns into something crazy. It's unbelievable. Um, but the butterflies, <laughs> the caterpillars, they turn into these butterflies. But, you know, it's, it's bizarre that a caterpillar, which, you know, you get these things you can't even see on the leaf... And every day they double in size. They eat the leaf. They eat the oh, leaf. I know about that. And then, and then they—that's just what I do every day with my lunch. Um, but anyway, they they double and double and double, and then all of a sudden they create that weird cocoon thing. And what comes out is incredible. It's nothing like the caterpillar. Um, and butterflies are all about release and all that kind of stuff. So it's yeah, interesting it's that they've used that metamorphosis. Yeah, into something beautiful. There's also spring, the birth of life, and all that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah, and if you think about the humans here. Neville thinks they're sick and stupid and lost the humanity when in reality it's maybe him that has lost his humanity. Yes. So the metamorphosis is sort of the wrong way around. Um, This is that next great scene in the DVD story. Yeah, but he goes back to the mannequin and he says, well, I promised to talk. I promised my friend that I would talk to you. Yes. And and he sits there. Again, this is another... um, a great scene that he, tight as anything that's close he totally up. convinces you that he is genuinely talking yeah. having a heart, heart to this woman and that's that point where I think he realises that he's sad yeah that he's actually <laughs> just sad and lonely like yeah. this game was fun when yeah. he had Sam like and now he's in there talking to this mannequin and he's just like nah yeah. this just doesn't work I'm, Fred like, stuffed it I'm not getting it like <laughs> Sam was my real company yeah, yeah. the mannequin was just kind of my game yeah it's just a fun game yeah um, and that leads him to to set up this trap on the bridge and kill as many people as possible. Um, it's basically a suicide mission, you know. So he's bowling through, um, you know, as many as he can, yeah, smashing them up, smashing them up. They're smashing him up. They're attacking. They're also attacking him back. So it's not just like again driving through a herd of zombies that don't have any thoughts they actually seem to have well yeah because the the big boss guy actually starts directing them yeah, and they, they knock they the car over yeah, flip yeah, it and, yeah. uh, and then uh, and there's some light happens yeah. and they don't I, I imagine maybe UV light or something happens mm. and they all go away and he gets cut out and rescued by a woman and while he's passed out from that because he's kind of been a bit hurt this is the all is lost moment something or someone has to die mm. It's the revealing of how what happens to his wife and his child. So we go back to that big scene. He's saying goodbye to them on the helicopter and I'll be with you in a couple of weeks, blah, blah, blah. Helicopter starts taking off. We see the Brooklyn Bridge being destroyed, so something dying, you know, yeah. the access that way. And the bridge is going up. Oh, sorry, the helicopter is going up and up and screaming and that on the other platform, people are in hysterics. They kind of attack another helicopter and that one starts losing control and just heads straight towards his the helicopter that his wife and child are in. Bad luck. And it is as though they're about to collide that then he wakes up. And he's back in his home. He's hurt but fixed. And this woman and child are there and they're kind of cooking breakfast. And it's really bizarre for him. It's very alien. He's... Post traumatic. This, this is very Act Three, I think. This yeah. Is, so, well, to me, this is just before it. Yeah, this is the leading into it because leading he's leading into it because it's, it's actually that. worse here because he sits down and they seem to be like, "Oh, we we rescued you and we're we're going to go onwards and come with us and you know we're going to do this." And he's like, "I was saving that bacon for something special. Yes. You're not special. Like, what is this? Yeah, you know? Everyone's 
dead. Everyone is dead, you know. Yes. And so she's trying to be optimistic, but he is pessimistic. As but mind you, this is also though where, because as far, as far as we knew at this point, he is the only person immune, mm. which, you know, the Omega Man type thing. Yeah. But it's revealed that she was on like a hospital ship. Yeah. And someone was. someone came back that got was infected. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, they, they had to stop for supplies and they got infected. Yeah. And there were, there were five of them who were yeah. immune. But of course, it appears that three of them got killed by others. Yeah. And that did kind of spark a bit of interest. Yes, yeah, yeah. Because it's like, oh, there were five. Yeah. There were five of you. Yeah, yeah. Because um, you've got to think now, oh, well. And, this, and we point this out in all of these apocalypse scenarios. It's like there's so many people in so many different places and so mm. diverse that hard to really weed us all out mm. uh, short yeah. of, you know, a, a life-ending comet yeah. sort of thing. Uh, yeah, so it, I thought that was pretty interesting. And we do get a bit of this conversation about God, you know, what brought you here? Mm. Why did you come? You know, like I just was told I've got to go to Vermont Mm. I know it's there. You yeah. don't know. There's nothing there. Yeah, because he's he's lost all yeah. of his hope, and and it's not really about, um, you know, really people sort of bring this up being a religious thing. I don't think it really was a religious thing. It was just that he had lost all hope. Yeah, he's like, he, he was just convinced. Okay, everyone else is dead. I am the only person alive, and he's so grumpy at this point because yeah. that view has been challenged. Yeah, because he's met two other people. Yeah, and they were talking about at least three other people. Mm. Who are still alive? But they're meeting and him at the bottom. So, so even this thought that there is a colony of Vermont is like, if he goes, if she's right, and there really is, and he goes, and it's there, he is just like, everything he's done has been in vain. He's lost yeah. Sam, he's lost his family, everything. He didn't need to. They, he just had to go to Vermont, and he would have been sweet, <laughs> type of thing. Like, and I, I think that's. That's got to be like his rock bottom mm. is where yeah, is, he's confronted yeah. with that yep. reality that perhaps his entire modern existence has been pointless. And so that's right. He chucks the shits at them basically and storms off and there's a moment of reflection. Yeah. He sits in the bath, not having a bath, but just sits in it and and kind of, yeah, again, it's that real tight close-up on Will's face and he's, you see his eyes blinking around, he's really thinking. And then in the next scene, it's a bizarre scene, this next one, he wanders downstairs, he's changed literally his clothes, <laughs> had it freshened up, so to speak. But he goes down and Shrek is playing and he does this weird scene, but it's a bonding scene with the little kid more than anything, but yeah. he, like, repeats everything that's about to happen and explains that he likes Shrek. Um, so to me, this was like, he kind of smooths things over and then it's to break into three because it's like, well, we're going to go off to this place. Are you going to come? And his answer is no, but he's, he's sort of going to help them in a way. Yeah. And, um, that they, I think the night progresses and he locks everything up and he, he takes the child up into the bed and it's very symbolic that it's it's very healing that I think for him yes. because he it's the same as how he carried his own child earlier in the film in the flashbacks and so and you know she sees the bedroom still the same and then he has a nice scene a nice moment with Anna where they he explains the Bob Marley you know mm. she's never heard of Bob Marley and so he plays it but yeah he tells that story of what Bob Marley was attacked and had to come back out and play. Um, so the bad guys aren't taking a day off. No, so and, how can and, I, I? and he ends up with 
you've got to light up the darkness. And, you know, that's in this film, it's like you light up, you, you light the UV up, it kills the monsters, so yes. to speak, like the light, the darkness. But the darkness is also inside him now. Like he's depressed and down, you yes. know, so he's got to light it up. So with that, but um, the Dark Seekers kind of attack. Yeah, he is. And We're just getting that connection and they've said we're going first thing in the morning yep. and you get the feeling, well, maybe he'll go. Maybe he'll go. But then you hear the noises and then we go, okay, we've got to... Well, he's like, oh, did you, when did you come back? Did, was it still dark? And they're like, yeah. She's like, yeah, I think well, we had to get you back. And Well, the, the light was just coming. The light up. was just coming and he's yeah. like, they followed you, you know. And so he sort of gets to action and we see them all outside and he detonates, you know, a huge explosion that he's got set up, his traps. He set, he's, he, he, he lets go of all his traps, basically, yes. uh, which destroys a whole bunch of them, but they keep coming. Yeah, it gives him a bit of a lull, enough yeah. time to, to gather. Yeah. His forces. But it's pretty quick. There's one that attacks him. Um, he fights, gets injured. He kills it. He gets his gun, shoots that, runs upstairs. There's another one that's ripping holes out of the ceiling. Yeah, so people and, and Anna and the child are hiding in fear in the corner, so he shoots that one out. And then the, he can see the head dark seeker outside kind of roar. Mm. And they all kind of attack at once. There's and another like, wave of them. There's another wave of them. And they're climbing up onto the roof because that one has created a hole into the ceiling. So, again, it shows a lot of intelligence, doesn't it? Suddenly, like, they had a plan of attack. <laughs> well, yeah, he'd gathered an army. Yeah, yeah. Like. yeah. And also, but it's like, get in and destroy the roof because we'll come in through the roof. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so they run to the lab. And um, as, as these dark seas descend... And get into where this female darts here because he's and got a special corner. This is kind of the off. reversal, isn't it? Because their yeah. plan was, oh, okay, fight off the dark seas, get down to the lab, yeah. and lock ourselves in there yeah. until sunrise. That mm. plan is spoilt because mm. this dark seeker is reverting somewhat to humanity. Yeah, uh, she's not completely, you know, restored, mm. but her skin color's coming back. Her eyes are responding. Her, her breathing and heart rate and everything are all back down to more normal levels. Yeah. So it's possible the cure is working. Yeah, it's it's he's on the right track. If yeah. if that's not the cure, it's getting close. Yeah, and he he says, well, the cure is in our blood. The cure is us. So mm. you've got to get to safety. So this is an interesting thing, but because then the male dark seeker, dark seeker, and the others smash through and they run up. They're surrounding them. So they're safe inside this little lab bubble, glass bubble thing. Yeah. Um, but this key dark seeker, the the partner, runs up and then starts headbutting this glass furiously. Yes. And Will's saying to them, you know, stop. I, I think I can cure you, you know, but they're all like a pack of animals. Yeah, well, they're that- probably kind of thinking... What do you mean? Cure us from yeah, what? Cure us from what, yeah. But anyway, so he's smashing it, smashing it. And it's interesting because as he's smashing it, the glass cracking and the way the glass sh- um, shrouds, is that right? Shades? Yeah. Yeah. It starts to look like a butterfly. Mm. And that, that's kind of the shape that it's appearing. Now, this is where we get two climaxes. And what I mean by that is not, ooh, ooh two climaxes. <laughs> we're, we're, we're in time. So, sorry, we're in time. There's actually two versions of how this film ends. So to give you a little bit of a setup, they did do a theatrical release in the US and then people didn't like that ending and so they reshot a new ending and that became the main I Am Legend film that most of us saw. 
And the other one was kind of thrown out and they put it on the DVD as an extra. DVDs again. (laughs) It was a common thing back in the day. It was. It's a shame. I mean, but look, you invest $150 into a film and if people start saying we don't like the ending, they get scared and they want to go back. Places like Netflix are doing that. If you look at like The Witcher Mm. and Amazon has done it with The Wheel of Time, for example, you go on there, they've got little extras now, Mm. little interviews with the crew and yeah. Uh, behind-the-scenes looks and so on. Yeah, which, they always did that. But this, nice. this is actually a different ending to yeah. what they originally came up for. So the first ending is that Neville sort of protects the woman and child, Anna and the child, shoves them in the fire chimney or something. The coal chute gives them the uh, cure. Um, and whilst this dark seeker kind of then does the final blow... He sacrificed himself and blows everything up. Boom. Boom. Uh, so that's version one. He's the light in the dark. Yeah, he's the lightness in the dark. Number two is that he notices the on the female dark seeker's net is a butterfly ta- tattoo. Yeah. And he's like, ah. Oh. And he looks at this male dark seeker, the one that's bashing its head against the window, and it's like, ah, oh, he's like this because he's obviously her partner. Yeah. And maybe in his all his sadness and isolation, he resolves to hand her over. So he kind of signals that and tells Anna to open the door. Yes. And he opens the door and they all the dark seekers all sort of stop and watch him very cautiously and he wheels her out and the male screams in his ear sort of thing, but also is like, Oh, oh, she's here, she's here, you know, yeah. like he's a bit reassured. And he says, I he says to them, I have to get a syringe, he gets a syringe prods her, she comes back to life, she's breathing, all that sort of stuff. And that lead dark seer is like, oh, you know, picks him up. And there's a great little moment. They sort of, they look at each other and they're definitely, you know, in love uh, sort and, of idea. Yeah. And, and the, well, the male dark seer sees that board of all the dead yeah, things yeah. that Will Smith apologizes for. Yeah, he does. But, but there's also, there's a nice look there where he kind of, it's like we could rip him apart. We could. But he actually chooses not to. Yeah. And and there is, there's that thought. You see there's that thought. He's like, should we rip you apart? And it's like, actually, you're a bit sad. Mm. You're on your own. We're together, I think. You know, I think that yeah. was the look. Now, maybe I was reading too much into it. Let me know. There's those two versions. In that version, he does then leave with Anna and go off sort of to the sanctuary or they're heading off to it. You know, they don't, yeah. I don't think they get there, but they head off to it. Um, and in the theatrical version um anna and the child arrive at this sanctuary space yes the end yes so it's a great film it takes you through an absolute fantasy if you're interested in being all alone fighting these dark seekers with a lovely pet dog uh, living, living the night in fear. I, I like the sound of this. this. This sounds terrific to me. Well, it does remind me of when the kids were younger. Yeah, the baby stage there, especially. And you hear that little whimper and you go, yeah. don't oh, no. just don't. go back to sleep, go back to sleep. And sometimes they would that you wouldn't hear anymore and then you get to go back to sleep. And other times it'd be like just five minutes on yeah. and then it becomes a full-on cry and you go, oh, God. It starts again. Uh, <laughs> and okay. you go to the bathtub with your dog and a gun and yeah. just shake, <laughs> shake. Will they stop? For the love of God, will they stop? Will they stop? No, of course. We only joke. We only kid. So where'd this one come in your ladder, dude? Well, uh, sort of in the middle. 
and I kind of put it in between two real thinking ones because I feel like this is more of a heart-stopping film. I don't think it's a it's a deep and I, I mean it's got a lot of depth to it, but I I thought it's one that kind of picks up the pace. So you know, we, you talked about it earlier, like oh, really sucking you in when Sam goes into that factory, the scene where he's hung upside down, and even the ending of this, it's unknown like what's about to happen and the tension of this film. So I thought I'm going to throw it between the Australian film, The Dish, and that great film, The Tau. So because I thought like both of them are kind of more thinking, you know, slow-moving, slow-paced sci-fi, whereas this one's a nice, fast action, you know, roaring muscle cars, Will jumping out of buildings, fighting these zombies um, right on the beats, and, yeah, I thought it would be kind of like a cool mixing up the pace that way. Wow. I, I did this as the, the trilogy with I Am Mother, I Am Legend, Interstellar. Ooh, I okay. Am Interstellar. Because <laughs> I, I like the... Nolan, change it. Three very different looks at, at um, an apocalypse. Yeah. So in Interstellar, of course, the, the food crops are all failing. There's global warming. Goodness knows what other problems are going on. Uh and the the guy has to go out and save the day. Yeah. And he does it through, you know, space travel. magical fashion. I <laughs> uh, Mother, of course, is the robot um, raising humans to repopulate the Earth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, testing them. Mm-hmm. Like, I really, the my interpretation is that, because she was the third embryo to be brought back. She was, yeah. Uh, and so, in my mind, it's like, yeah, you know, raising them. And then there was a couple of these little tests. Okay, well, what does she do with the mouse? Or what does she do when she's introduced to another human? Mm. You know, how does she deal with that? And how does she deal then with me revealing this secret? And does she have the will to, to live on? And will she be a good mother? Yeah. Uh, and by that, I mean a good mother of the human species as opposed to necessarily, you know, raise one individual person well. Uh, yeah, so I, I sort of like that. I thought that would... You know, I've got a few of these sort of little duology or little trilogies in my ladder as you go along there. Yeah. Of course, you could look at it as uh, I Am Legend, Interstellar, and Cargo. Yeah, they which all again end of is the world. another sort of yep way of doing it there. Yeah. A lot of end of the world scenarios in sci-fi films. <laughs> uh, I, I think it's a very common one. It, it, it makes, is. It's a common theme. Isn't it, it makes for good action, I think, and drama. Yeah. Like, yep. You really crank it up. Yep. Okay, well, where is it on your ladder? Let us know, or where you where we talked about it. Let us know what you think about our position on our ladders as well. So, what about the science, Surrey? Are we talking about why vaccines do not work and why no one should have the COVID vaccine, or COVID vaccines are going to lead to mutant dark seekers? Are we going down that conspiracy? I kind of hope they do. <laughs> yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. I've had the double dose, so I'm I'm good. I'm ready for this dark seeker. <laughs> Go! I'm going to rip Go. someone to pieces. Yeah. Now, is he? Well, I will talk about vaccines, but um, I'll move. You know, I'm not going to touch on any of the the political no. parts of it. Like, you know, should it be mandated? What are the requirements? All I said. Let's actually just talk about the history, the science of it, and so forth, because they uh, vaccines, along with say antibiotics, have been hailed as perhaps some of the greatest life-saving technology of all time. Uh, you, you can look at any other given technology we have, but it was antibiotics and vaccines that meant human life just 
exploded in uh, well in number, which some people would argue is not necessarily a good thing, but or in quality. So it, the invention of the vaccine, in fact, uh, inoculation is something that goes back quite a way. So the inoculation is where you introduce uh, something into something else. Mm-hmm. Usually it's referring to a virus or a bacteria into something. When right. I make my yogurt, I inoculate my milk with the yogurt bacteria so it gets infected. Uh, in terms of humanity... It sounds lovely. Inoculation <laughs> when you put it that way. was already being done in Asia uh, and African medicine. Uh, is called and it, and it sort of got uh, brought in to Europe and Britain as this um, uh, what do they call it uh, variolation, which is taking a bit of of a, of a virus and infecting yourself with it in a controlled manner. Mm. It was as deadly as it sounds, <laughs> and it 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 was better than meeting the the bacteria in the wild. So often it would be the case if you find someone who had survived smallpox, for example, mm. in but at the point where they're recovering from smallpox, yeah. you'd then go and get yourself infected by them. And you still had a 20% chance of death, which is, which is pretty mean. But it was better than just sort of the wild strains. But it was, it was still, it was just um, terrible. And, and to put that in, in a perspective, smallpox itself is what, really brought about the whole vaccination process uh, because smallpox as a disease was tremendously contagious. Like uh, at at the time, uh, so we're talking about this fellow, uh, was it the, it was the 1700s and we had Francois-Marie uh, Alrouette, uh, also known as Voltaire. At the time that he was writing in the 1700s, 60% of the population caught smallpox at any given time, you know, in, per year, and 20% died. Mm, wow. Uh, yeah, you can imagine 20%, uh, so it's about 12%. That would be about uh, 3 million Australians yeah. dying. Jeez. And it wasn't a nice death. No. It was a terrible, terrible death. And this was a recurrent problem. Like smallpox, smallpox was an absolute scourge. However, uh, along came this fellow. His name was Jenner, Edward Jenner. He was a scientist, so he was a naturalist, uh, you know, zoologist. He right. did some very beautiful um, pictures and so forth. And he studied the cuckoo, uh, which was quite, you know, one of his fancy things. However, he was getting into this idea of inoculation because mm-hmm. a number of doctors around that time were getting into it. Yeah, this wasn't just Edward Jenner being some genius. Yeah. Uh, There was already, for example, in 1766, Daniel Bernoulli, uh, he analyzed smallpox morbidity and mortality data Uh um, to to, demonstrate the efficacy of inoculation. In 1768, English physician John Fuster had realized that prior infection with cowpox rendered a person immune to smallpox. Mm. So there's already kind of this idea that, you know, you can you can be immune uh, by being exposed. Yeah, uh, and there's also at least sort of there's a whole bunch of other investigators in England and Germany uh, who had sort of tested cowpox against smallpox to some extent. Yep. Uh, but the reason Jenner is known for it is because 
he tested his hypothesis in in what can only be a very 18th century fashion. So he also noted that the milkmaids who would get cowpox would not get smallpox. And so he grabbed his gardener's eight-year-old son. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know how you get access to an eight-year-old boy. I guess they just weren't that Back valuable. Back in those days, yeah. They were cheap at the time, I suppose. And he got himself some pus from the cowpox blisters from the hands of Sarah Nelms, a milkmaid who'd caught cowpox from a cow called Blossom, apparently, mm. or so I'm told. He inoculated James, this eight-year-old boy, so you can imagine that, by basically getting a bit on a, like, <laughs> getting a needle, like, and I don't mean like a sewing needle, not yeah. like an injection needle, dipping it in cowpox pus and then jabbing it into this kid. Uh, made sure he got it. Uh, yeah, it, it made sure. So James came down with cowpox, which, yeah, it made him a bit ill. Uh, you know, he didn't feel great. He had a bit of a fever, but it was, it was a couple of days. He was okay. And this is where Jenna gets his fame. He then injected Phipps with uh, smallpox. Lovely. So here you go. 20% chance of dying. Uh, and the people who survive, you know, have terribly scarred. It was, it was a very bad disease. He but was, he was the gardener's son. So he was the gardener's son. He was totally immune to it. Uh, it challenged him, as I say, it challenged him a couple more times, and he was immune. Yeah. A smallpox did not touch this boy anymore. So hurrah! Jenna then went on and got another twenty-three additional subjects. Now I don't have any particular, uh, including his own eleven-month-old son. So I'm going to guess that's out of a bit of desperation. Like, you lost babies very easily mm. in the late 1700s. And they got, you know, because it was an oncoming, um, you know, wave of smallpox. Mm. So he went and inoculated his own little bubby. They all survived just mm. fine. And yeah, he recorded all of this because, as I said, he was a um, scientist. And so... Very quickly. He wasn't just doing it for fun. No, no. Well, see, very quickly then, just a, a few years later, he got uh, a lot of money then from the king and the parliament uh, in order to um, roll this vaccine out. And this vaccine this vaccine was so popular, uh, so popular, so effective, we now no longer have smallpox. The only smallpox in existence is a small sample of it held in an infectious laboratory, you know, for studying things. Mm. Yeah. And they're even actually. I wonder if they've even destroyed it yet. But they sort of put forward the point: we should destroy this. Mm. Like it's symbolic. We have had victory over this disease. So I, I tell you that, like without a doubt, one hundred percent assurity that vaccines and the vaccination process, which is to say, introduce um, a part of a disease or some recognized something that your immune system can then build on. So the the vaccine isn't making you immune. It's not a drug. It's not something that stays in your body. It's something like, uh, like I said, it's in, in inoculations, introducing a bit of virus or a bit of protein material that your immune system can recognize and build itself. So your immunity comes from your own natural immune system naturally fighting off this natural disease. Yeah. Because uh, there's a lot of confusion there. People, there's a lot of people who think the vaccine itself, I mean, as I said in this movie, I am legend. He even says, I'm going to give her the vaccine and see if it cures her. Like, the vaccine does not do that. Before the smallpox vaccine, 
uh, as I said, they had this inoculation process, but it's not called a vaccine because it wasn't like a controlled, studied thing. It was just, let's get people, you know, expose them to bits of this disease. Yeah. And then they'll be immune. And that's true. It's the same thing. Because I've heard people say, oh, I'm not going to use the COVID vaccine. I'm going to rely on my natural immunity. Newsflash, you don't have a natural immunity to COVID. That's why it spreads so well. The only way you get a natural immunity to COVID is by being exposed and infected by COVID or a vaccine. Mm. Well, yeah, a vaccine the, can the effect, expose you. Your body produces the same response. Like, yeah. that's the whole trick. That's the whole cowpox, smallpox thing is yeah. that the response the body had to cowpox produced the, the, the immunity which saved people from smallpox. So, like, ah. Uh, Without a doubt, 100%, I will tell you right now, the vaccine theory works. Now, there is a trick, of course, because you can't then just generalize the vaccine theory to every individual specific instance of a medication or application thereof. An example of that is when we're talking about where what are vaccines, some of them are like um, the smallpox, cowpox sort of thing where you actually have what's called an attenuated live vaccine. So that's a virus. It's a real virus. Uh, it's live in that it will infect, but it's attenuated. It's like cowpox. It, you know, maybe like cowpox gives you a bit of a fever. You don't feel so good, but it has no lasting problems. And so you have these attenuated viruses where, uh, you know, in a lab they will purposefully breed a virus to be less dangerous but still very similar to the original one. So less dangerous that your body, a normally healthy person, will have no problem whatsoever defeating it. But in so doing, gain that immunity which will transfer to being immune to being the most dangerous one. Mm. Now, there, the benefit of this, uh, of using a live attenuated virus vaccine, is you get a very strong, very quick immunity. Your body will you know, produces a, a very strong response early on, like much faster than, say, for example, a dead um, vaccine. Yeah, right. A dead dead virus vaccine, and so that's like that's really good because that means that if you uh, see a disease uh, taking over, sweeping through a community, you can vaccinate, and within days, you'll stop it mm. because they'll all be immune. There is a bit of a problem here, and this is this is where one of these things come from. So some of the uh, misunderstandings or, or concerns and are genuine in that the polio vaccine came in two varieties. One of them was injected, and it was a dead vaccine, a, a dead virus. That is to say, it was it, it was um, parts of a virus, not a whole virus. Mm. By itself, it had no capacity to spread, yep. but it had enough of the protein that your body could recognize it. Mm -hmm. But you had to inject people. It had to be stored under certain conditions. It's kind of difficult to deploy. Yeah. Then there was an oral virus, uh, virus vaccine, which was a live attenuated. So they'd taken this polio virus and they'd bred it in various tissue cultures and so forth until it was meek and mild, you know, and you could just take it. Uh, a little drink, like take a little shooter mm -hmm. and you would very quickly gain immunity to polio. That's fantastic. And indeed, the people who took this vaccine were immune to polio. But 
because they did this in mass, you get it's a numbers game. You you give a whole heap of people this um, live but attenuated vaccine. You do get some mutations, mm. and sometimes this attenuated vaccine recombines and becomes an effective virus. Right, and you get reinfection in the people who have not yet been vaccinated. Mm. So. Uh, this caused problems in, in various places around the world where you start rolling out the vaccine and if you don't deploy it fast enough but it covers enough people, there is a chance. And it, it came down to being, uh, was it three in a million? One, yeah, so basically uh, three in a million people were basically getting polio as a side effect, not from they themselves taking the vaccine, but from other people taking the vaccine. And it had a live virus and that yeah. virus mutated and became dangerous again. Yeah, right. And in 2017, wild polio cases at record lows were outnumbered by the cases of... Uh, vaccine-derived polio, mm. which sounds bad, and it is, but what it means is uh, from 2017 till now, you have been more likely, like we're talking about one to three in a million chance, it's very mm. small, yeah, yeah. you're more likely to get polio from other people being vaccinated than you were from just polio in the wild. Uh, which has led a lot of countries now to sort of say, well, we're not going to do that. Which It's like the wild polio, it's so low now that we just don't need to take the danger. And Australia is one of these countries, we don't use live vaccines for polio. So we don't yeah. use live vaccines for any of these things. So uh, so that's very interesting. So the, there has been at various times concern. And I have personally met a person who had partial paralysis of a leg yep. because of polio because they hadn't been vaccinated in time mm. and they got the tail end of, you know, one of these yeah, outbreaks. Right. Yep. Uh, so absolutely, you know, there, there are concerns that people have. Um, nothing to do with conspiracies. There was, there's not a decision to try and infect people. Nobody wants that. It's, it might surprise you, but there's not, a, you know, a, a hidden cult of people <laughs> that want to destroy everyone. Like that's, that's a movie, not real life. Uh, in real life, you get idiots who will try to take profit and will cut corners. And yeah, yeah, that's yeah. that's you know, what was it old that's saying? Don't miss, uh, don't attribute to malice that which can be explained by stupidity yeah. or greed. Yeah, yeah, like people will do things because they're just not doing the right thing, not because they're trying to be mean. But anyway, uh, so that's polio vaccine. But you know what? We've got a new vaccine technology. Ooh. And this is very cool. It's And when I say new, it's at least 30 years old. So it's not <laughs> new. And the new Pfizer vaccine, for example, is an mRNA vaccine. I'm sure people heard that. There has been a lot of confusion around what that actually is and means because it's it's one of these things where you're, you're getting medical jargon hitting common speak and people remembering things like vaccine-induced polio. Yeah. Uh, not to mention then the... Um, concerns that people have about you know you, you just any medical intervention has a chance 
to cause problems, you know, anaphylaxis or secondary infections or, you know, you didn't realize that a person was immunocompromised at the time. You know, there's so many things. Tiny little chances of it happening. Terrible if it does happen to you, though, and you don't really care that it was a small chance at that point. But the mRNA vaccine, fantastic. The reason for that is mRNA stands for messenger ribonucleic acid. So we all know DNA. DNA is the, you know, the thing that holds the code to our existence. And it's wrapped up in chromosomes and it sits in our cell nucleus, all tightly protected. That's the whole double helix nature of it is to, to keep it from degrading because you don't have any active sites. But we have this very clever process inside of our bodies where we have an enzyme which will crack open the DNA. And some viruses can do this too, by the way. Um, talk about that in another episode, I suppose. But it'll, it'll crack it open and then a bit of this RNA will sort of, you know, transcribing RNA will fold onto it and then come off the DNA and the DNA closes back up and mm. stays nice and secured. Yeah, now, right. this RNA is half of DNA and the other complementary half then is um, it's going to fit protein molecules mm -hmm. and we get this RNA it leaves the um, nucleus so it's a one-way door it pops out as little fragments called messenger RNA uh -huh. and out in the cytoplasm of your cell you've got these things called ribosomes which I don't know if you remember when you're back in high school maybe you would have made like a drawn a diagram and you've got these things called organelles and you've got the mitochondria and you've got yeah, this yeah. one of the organelles is this ribosome which is uh, itself a combination of, of RNA and some various proteins and um, uh, uh, enzymes and so forth mm -hmm. and it goes in there and it this messenger then creates whatever protein it is that your body is trying to create yeah, usually it's some sort of a, um, uh, a hormone or a um, some other sort of messenger that will signal mm -hmm. you know insulin production or something yeah, yeah. Uh, and so if you get then a messenger rna that you encode in the lab to produce say the spike protein of the covid mm -hmm. uh, does it virus just the spike protein so there's it's uh, not a live virus it is this would be continued considered a dead virus it's, it's yeah. actually even just a part of a dead virus it's just the spike protein that on the outside so you make this RNA which will create that spike protein mm -hmm. and you inject it into someone and it goes in into this cell. It can't get into the nucleus. The nucleus is a closed barrier. The mRNA is, is, has got no capacity to go in. It's a one-way door that it goes out. It goes in there and then you create your body creates the spike proteins mm -hmm. which you then uh -huh. release in your blood and then your immune system goes, aha, this is not right yeah. and you have an immune response which is where most of your side effects come from yeah, yeah the side effect is not the vaccine the vaccine is very small and your kidneys and liver deal with it no worries mm. it's actually your own immune response to finding something wrong which can give some people just maybe aches and pains or, or mm. some people don't even notice it but other yeah. people will have a little fever or will actually get things like you know congestion and coughs and runny noses yeah. uh, uh and you know, or a myocarditis, which sounds yeah. scary, but you actually get myocarditis as a side effect of many colds and flus and things as well. It's it's part of your immune response as well. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you get that, but what that means now is you now have natural immunity to any virus recognizable by spike proteins on the outside. 
Mm-hmm. And the, and I say it like that because, as we know, with like Omicron, and there there is mutation, and so some of that mutation occurs in the spike proteins, which makes them harder to recognise. Right. Which has made the vaccine that was produced for the initial coronavirus is less effective against the Omicron because Omicron itself has changed. The government has not changed its story about the vaccine. The vaccine that we've taken now is as effective as the trials suggest, like 94%, whatever, against the original coronavirus. Mm. It has had since mutated a bit, and now I don't know what the... I can't, I can't keep up with the numbers now. You are better off with the vaccine because you do have something. If you've never been vaccinated, you have zero natural immunity. Yeah. Like none. You will become sick from it that's just the way it works some people more so than others yeah and that's just luck of the draw there as opposed to any other thing uh yeah so this mrna vaccine though the first published paper for um mrna as a vaccine vector 1990 Mm -hmm. in 1992 they uh found a way of delivering it into cells Mm. and and all the way up to and i was reading this paper no 2018 so this is, you know, well, this mRNA vaccine was not developed in response to coronavirus. No, no. It was being developed because of the problems you have with things like polio. The, the fact that with mRNA, you can program it to whatever you like. You don't have to try and uh, tease out uh, the, you know, a, a less deadly form, but it's still recognizable. You know, that's, that's a hard and yeah, slow yeah. process. This one, he just go, oh, you know what? This little part of it is recognizable. We'll just encode an mRNA for that and stick it in someone. Yeah. Uh, so you can expect vaccines to a lot of viruses now uh, a lot quicker to make. Yeah. So this is a 2018. You can go on to nature.com. mRNA vaccines, a new era in vaccinology. January 12, 2018. It's a uh, review article which talks all about the history and what the, the basic... Had, and, you know, it uses all sorts of words that are very difficult to understand. Uh, but it, it goes through like the, the history from 1990 uh-huh. and then 1992 and, mm. and so forth and even get some pictures here showing bits I had to look up. Every little bit you have to look up and go, endosomes? Uh, what's a peptide MHC presentation? Hmm, interesting. But if you do look all of that stuff up, then you'll, I guess, learn about it, won't you? Yeah, definitely. So it's very interesting. So... The interesting point here in this movie that is a bit wrong, they modified a measles virus because measles are highly contagious, so it's a good carrier for whatever their message was for um, you know, being vaccinated against cancer. Yeah. I, you know, I don't know how that's possible. It's not really possible. Cancer is so different. There are so many yeah, different yeah. things in cancer. Uh, but the interesting thing about it, of course, measles is not a retrovirus. It cannot alter your DNA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the only way these dark seekers could have been created is through a retrovirus, which could modify DNA. This, the only thing that this measles vaccination would have done would be it would stimulate an immune response and then it would be destroyed by that immune response. And then people would be vaccinated against cancer. But obviously, um, if you took something like HIV which uh, or herpes, mm. they they actually get themselves into your DNA. Once you're infected with herpes, you can only be cured of it by destroying the cells that have been infected. 
mm. or by using something like CRISPR gene editing to yeah. go through individually and modify or switch off each cell that's been affected. So uh, maybe they should have said it instead of measles, they should have said HIV. That would have been a good twist because that would have immediately made you go, oh, don't play with that. That's dangerous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, which it is. But there you go. So, so that's uh, that's that's a, my my brief run out of vaccines, and <laughs> Edward Edward Jenner, who it was a different time where you could just experiment on the eight Gardner's year old son child. of the gardener. You know, like, hey gardener, bring your son over here. Yeah, what are you going to do? I'm going to stick this pussy needle in his arm. All right. Am really? I still getting paid on Friday? <laughs> yeah. uh, why are you doing that? Does it, here's, here's $10. Here's a pound. Don't yeah. worry about it. Yeah. Oh, okay. I guess so. Yeah, I've got another yeah. three out the back anyway. Anyway, it's Edward Jenner. He has been named... Uh, named and shamed on Space Brands. Well, he's been named and shamed on Space Brands, <laughs> but he's been named as one of the most important contributors to you know scientific knowledge Ugh. and... There's the single person who saved the most lives in history, or yeah. something. Uh, he was quite Did happy. He bring the lightness, light out of the darkness. Well, he was quite happy about the fact that the expedition the into the Americas was benefiting from being completely immunized from smallpox. Hmm. Mm, we know what happened there yeah. though, with smallpox in the <laughs> Americas. Yes, because when you're immune to it, but you know they're not. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So. Actually, go. I spoke about biological warfare in a previous episode. It is, yeah. it is. So that's a similar so thing, yeah. It's uh, it's a pretty grim thing. We humans are capable of the most awful, awful things. Yes, And wonderful, life-saving things too. Well, that's really interesting. What did you think about Surrey's deep dive on the science of uh, I Am Legend, taking out a part and, and going down that path? Okay, well, that brings us to the end of tonight's episode. We will roll into next week's episode, which will be based on the film The Osiris Child by Shane Abbas. Yeah, we're going you're, back to another Abyss film. Yes, you, you'll know that he's an Australian. Uh, he filmed Infini in Sydney Warehouse for like 50 bucks and a promise of a Macca's meal or something like that. <laughs> Uh, very impressive. Uh, we would love to try and get in touch with him. We've we sort of tried, but, you know. We'll try again. We'll try again. We'll try again. Yeah. Anyway, we're, uh, Daniel McPherson starred in that film, and he's also in this film. Oh, so yes. re reusing the actors. Uh, Infinity was a wonderful film. It was a really great film. You should definitely sci-fi. go see that one. Yeah. So I look forward to sitting down and chatting to you, sorry, about the Osiris Child. Osiris, like the Osiris God. Osiris Child. It's a... a- uh, I nearly said a Greek god, and then I was going to correct myself, say Hebrew god, but none of that would work. Would really? No. It's the Egyptian god Osiris. Oh, there we go, Osiris, yes. Osiris child. Okay, we'll go check it out. It's available online, and we'll see you next time on Space Brains. See ya.